We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage for the Conexus Arts Center. High Valley with Tim and the Glory Boys. February 20th at the Conexus Arts Center. Tickets available at ConexusArtsCenter.ca. Brennan McGuire in the Catbird seat along with Ryan McNally for this Wednesday edition of the program. Coming up later in Hour 1, we'll hear from Dante DiCaria, the voice of the Regina Pats. Tonight is the Western Pizza Have a Heart Night Out. They're around at the different Western Pizzas, waitering... Dante, I'm sure, will be waitering somewhere. Whoever, Whichever location drew the short straw will be stuck with Dante. And they do go out to deliver, too. Oh, so he yes. might show up on your step. Even better. For sure. Uh, hour two, we'll talk to Farhan Lalji about the news about Jamal Morrow, uh, failing his physical and the ramifications of that with the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, we'll hear from Skylar Ackerman, the skip for Team Saskatchewan for this year's Scotty Tournament of Hearts that starts on Friday. And in hour three, we'll touch base with Luke Mullinder and we'll talk about some SJHL comings and goings with Jamie Nugabauer. But right now, we're very pleased to be joined in studio by the newest free agent signing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Mr. AJ Olet. AJ, welcome to Regina. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So, this is kind of a, I don't usually ask a lot of personal questions, but with it being Valentine's Day and we are on the occasion, is there a significant other in your life who you were spurning today to be with us in Regina on this occasion? Uh, just just my dogs, um, which uh, when I showed up to the hotel last night, they had a nice little gift basket um, from the team with some dog toys and a bandana. So uh, <laughs> I, that's it. I got a gift to give them when I get home. Good, good stuff. And uh, Saskatchewan's newest eligible bachelor, too, as you just found. Uh, you can join in on the discussion toll-free at one 767 620 And also, send us a text on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line at 306-936-6262. Um, you know, it just occurred to me, and I'm sure you guys addressed this earlier today, you are number 34. Probably not going to let you wear that here. Did you guys sort that out yet? Has that been figured out? Yes, yeah. So I'll be repping 45, um, which was my college number, and also from a university that was green and white. So I'm very familiar with the number and the color. Very nice, very nice. And the uh, who else has worn 45? Randy Strachinsky. I can't think of any. Mike else. McCullough recently. Mike McCullough. Line, yeah, how linebacker. Could I Mike. Yeah. So there you go. You're in good company. Um, I was going to touch on that. You went to the University of Ohio Bobcats. Yes. And uh, you were a teammate of Nathan Rourke. Yeah, yeah. My quarterback for the last two years I was there. And uh, do you do you find yourself rooting for him like all these Canadians are rooting for him because finally we have a decent Canadian quarterback for the first time in 50 years, but you, you, maybe you're rooting for him for other reasons. Yeah, I tell him he has too much support, so I, I'm always booing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I cheer for him. Uh, tremendous guy. Great uh, leader. Great teammate. Um, excited that he's getting the opportunity down south. Um, chasing the dream that he's had. Uh, He's had since since university, so I'm excited for him. And you you would have crossed paths with uh, Jim Burrow, who uh, uh, used to play in the CFL. Joe Burrow's dad, although he was on the other side of the ball. Did you have any interactions with Jim at all? Yeah, Jim was um, the actually the coach that recruited me. He was in charge of the Dayton area there in Ohio, so he drove to my high school, talked to me, basically said we do not have a scholarship available for you. So he he's the one that. Um, Gave me the walk-on position. Um, had a good relationship with him. Great, great coach, and um, got to talk to Joe uh, quite a bit since he was still in high school when I was there my first couple of years. AJ, I asked Jamarcus and Jalen this uh, both yesterday, but what was your main selling point for uh, joining the Green and White? Uh, coach Mace, Coach Mace, and Coach Ed. Um, my running back coach came out here with uh, with Mace. A um, uh, great guy. 
Um, and as I tell people, um, a young athlete trying to look up to a coach, trying to look up to a father, um, trying to look up to a husband, he is a, uh, a great guy to look up to. I was a little bit surprised, you know, uh, early on, a lot of the discussion was around rating Toronto's defensive rosters because of uh, Coach Mace. You know, he worked on the defensive side. It seemed to make sense. We saw the big trade where they traded Curly Gittens Jr. to Edmonton for Jake Ceresna, and everybody thought they're going to lose maybe Sean Oakman, maybe Winton McManus. But here we sit today, and none of that has materialized. It's a guy from the offensive side of the ball. Are you a little surprised with how this has transpired? Um, a, a little bit. I'm, I'm a guy that likes... You know, consistency, uh, training schedule, and all that. Um, but how how much I've grown um, to connect with Coach Mace in the last couple of years. Um, I knew I was definitely going to give him a shot and talk to him in this off season. And when free free agency opened up, he was the uh, the first coach that reached out to me. So I knew it was going to be uh, special working with him. Did you get a good uh, impression of the city when you were here for the 109th Grey Cup? Uh, when you emerged victorious uh well i guess just over a year ago now yeah so my experience was it was freezing and anytime i was outside it was how fast could we walk to the next place we were going to so i didn't get to experience the the city too much um i've only been here twice um for the great cup and then last year's game here um, where i ended up getting my thousand yard game so only good experiences um in this in the city and in the stadium well we're honored that you chose us over pinball clemens but it just feels like the Argos are a team on the rise. Um, you know, they won that great cup. They're so good last year. Chad Kelly's looks like the most dynamic quarterback that exists in the league today. And that would be really, really hard to turn away from, I would think. Uh, did you, was that hard for you to turn the page on that, to move away? Yeah, um, very difficult, um, especially with um, the teammates that you, you come to, you grow, and you, they, they turn into brothers. Um, those are the hardest ones to leave, and uh, the support staff with the therapy, the EQ, um, all the way up to the the chefs that come in that cook for us. Um, great people, definitely gonna be hard to leave. Um, but I'm excited for new opportunities, a new gro- a new group of brothers, and um, you know a community that that loves football. Do you ever uh, watch or listen to the Three Down Nation podcast? I do. Okay, so a good friend of mine, JC, is on there, and he was spouting off all this nonsense about how uh, stud running backs don't always equate to great success, uh, and that's more from the, uh, I, I call him one of the analytic nerd type people, and you look at the teams that have won the Grey Cup the last few years, Winnipeg, uh, your Argonauts, and even to a lesser extent, the Alouettes, and those are teams that do really, really well with the run game. What would you say to the analytics people who um, are suggesting that the importance of the running back position is diminishing a little bit uh, on both sides of the border in professional offenses? I would uh, tell them to stay off of media and just stay on the computers and do what they do. Um, JC's going to love this. You know he's going to write about this. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's a it's a position that's asked to block like an O-lineman. Uh, it's a position that's asked to, to, to catch the ball like a receiver. Um, and it's a position that's asked to run the ball like a running back. Um, so it's... I think it's one of the toughest positions to play. Obviously, mentally, likewise, center, quarterback, obviously a lot harder. Um, but if you have a really good running back who understands the game, like a like a, a center or like a quarterback, and who can play the, the physical part that it does throughout the season, 
um, it's only going to help the team. You can chime in on the discussion with new Saskatchewan Rough Rider free agent signing running back A.J. Olat through the Capital Ford Lincoln text line 306-936-6262. So one thing that jumped out at me too was uh, there was a pretty good running back here last year who wore number 25 uh, by the name of Jamal Morrow, and he was a pretty good offensive weapon. The offensive line has had trouble here the last couple of years. It wasn't as bad this last season, but it was really bad the year before. Do you feel like a big part of the reason why the Rough Riders showed so much interest in you is because you're a bigger body and you can help keep those sack totals down? Yeah, um, I just had a conversation with the coach. Um, number one goal is to keep the quarterback healthy, keep him upright. That's going to just you know expand the season, um, add on more wins. Quarterback goes down, you got to change the whole system, um, whole scheme most most of the time. Um, so number one goal, keep Trevor upright. What do you know about Trevor Harris? Uh, I know you didn't get the chance to play with him. Like I don't know if you would have had any teammates even in Toronto. It was so long ago that he was there. But uh, what have you? What do you know about what you've seen from Trevor so far? Um, I've talked to him. Uh, he lives just about an hour uh, east of where I'm from. Oh, in uh, Ohio, in right? Ohio. Okay, yep. yeah, yeah. So uh, as soon as I get back, we're going to connect and you know go through the playbook, get some workouts together. I told him the biggest struggle I have is to find a quarterback that can throw to me. His biggest struggle is to find some receivers to to run routes for him. So uh, we're going to help each other out on that. Um, great guy. Um, Family oriented. Um, had a couple conversations just outside of football, and his uh, vision and his uh, focus on life is exactly what I think should be at a quarterback position. So I'm excited to uh, follow his leadership and um, help him in the locker room where I can. Tom Brady stirred up a hornet's nest when he was with the New England Patriots when he opened up his own clinic, the TB12 clinic, and guys were walking over and getting treatment that sometimes differed from what the trainers on the team were saying. So if uh, I know Trevor's a big believer in the TB12 method, so if they let Trevor open his own TH7 clinic, you're going to go over, you're going to be a believer in all that? So he's actually coming over to my facility. I own a sports performance gym called No Name Athletics in Ohio. Um, where we focus on a conjugate method uh, for strength and conditioning uh, along with pairing it um, to the dynamic um, phase in our speed and agility. Um, so it's a little different than what some people would recommend for in-season athletes. Um, but with my own um, you know, studies, I think it's been working for me. So um, I think we're going to kind of uh, connect and uh, see how our uh, training styles you know, are similar and how they're different. You can plug that on this show. You can be shameless. Where do people find that? Uh, NoNameAthletics.com. Um, we're exact same uh, handle on uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, or you just follow my Instagram. I will post everything that the gym posts. I am very nice, and I'm sure you will see lots of traffic coming from the 306 online after mentioning that here on the airwaves. Um, a year ago, there was a lot of excitement here about the Rough Riders and how they did in free agency, particularly because of the new quarterback. And until he got injured, things were looking pretty good. Uh, what would you say to a fan sitting in his truck, let's say in Milestone, Saskatchewan today, who asks the question, after what happened last year, why should I get excited about free agency this year and the new pickups yourself that the Rough Riders have added? That things will be different. Um, things are going to be different. Just from the guys I've seen we picked up, are genuinely good people. Um, you win, you win great cups with good men, not great athletes. Um, so it's going to start with that. And the the pickup we have is focused on, like I said, keeping the quarterback healthy. So I believe if he would have stayed healthy uh, through a full season, 
I think uh, the the Sask Rider fans would have been uh, cheering the whole year. When did the nickname Thor come in? Is that a new thing? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like I, I've, I've told people, every kid wants to be a superhero, right? So I've always I've, I've flirted with my idea of being um, the Hulk, Captain America, all that. But last year, when I bleached my hair, I wasn't thinking about anything on that. And a bunch of people on the team started calling me Thor. And a couple guys on the team had action figures of like the Wolverine of Batman in their locker room. So my uh, nephew got me a Thor hammer from Toys R Us and put that up in the uh, in my locker. Is that the one you had on TV? Yes. Oh, uh, that came from your nephew. Yeah, yeah. So oh, he bought that cool. for me uh, when they came up uh, for one of the first couple games. And then the, the hammer came out when we went to Hamilton, obviously the big rival there when I was with uh, Toronto. Hammer and the Hammer, I thought was the the best little uh, thing I could do. Originally, it was supposed to be a uh, sideline prop, but there was some uh, some trash talking from some of the the Hamilton players I did not appreciate to some of my old linemen. So uh, I thought bringing it on the field was needed. Well, that that, that never happens in the Labor Day matchup between Toronto <laughs> and Hamilton. And you, if you think that was bad, wait till you see the Labor Day Banjo Bowl between the Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Um, I know we only have a few moments left here, but uh, your name, it, it almost sounds French, like a French-Canadian name. And I remember even after the Grey Cup talking to some of my other Three Down Nation friends, we were referring to you as a Canadian running back. And he said, he's not Canadian, but everybody thinks he's Canadian. And you got the big beard. It looks like it's like this is meant to be for you to be in Canada, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know how long down the line it was, but someone in the family was born, I believe, in Quebec. Uh, moved to Ontario, moved to Michigan, moved to Ohio, and they didn't get you non-import status. Yeah, like they do. It seems like so many other guys who, well, his grandma's brother was Canadian, so he gets to be Canadian. They didn't do that for you. Yeah, I thought that we would get something worked out in this new deal, but uh, apparently, once you play one game as an American, you are set as an American forever. Well, apparently, that's uh, I don't know. That probably means about fifty grand different on the contract. <laughs> yeah, but, that's 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 costly. But you you worked your way in even without the Canadian status. Great to have you in studio. Welcome to Regina. I hope you get a chance to go see the town. Are you in town for a few days? Yep. Uh, I'll be here until Saturday. Um, plan on seeing the seeing the community, doing some events. Um, excited to be here. Well, if, you, if you're downtown and you see the guy with the big beard and the rider jacket, pretty good chance that it's Thor who you're running into and uh, people can come up and say hi. AJ Olette, welcome and uh, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, that is the newest member of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders joining us in studio, AJ Olette. Time to break. We'll be back with more of the Sports Cage here on The Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. BMAC and RMAC with you, Brendan McGuire and Ryan McNally, in hour one of the Wednesday edition of the Sportscape for Connexus Art Center. Special thanks to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and AJ Olette for popping into studio on his first full day in Regina. Uh, again, you can always chime in on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line, 306-936-6262, or call us toll-free at 1-866-767-0620. Um, some news from the Canadian Football League today about the guy who Thor, A.J. Olette, is replacing. Jamal Morrow, apparently not passing his physical, so he's not going to sign with the Calgary Stampeders. And in hour two, we will hear from Farhan Lalji a little bit more about that. I almost wonder if the Riders maybe dodged a bullet there. I mean, I was sad to lose uh, Jamal Morrow. He was the didn't quite have the same playing style, but went to the same university. He was kind of the George Reed or the closest thing that resembled George Reed on the Ryder roster. 
Yeah, you know, uh, I liked Jamal Morrow when he, you know, got into the game, right? And uh, pairing Morrow with Frankie Hicks and I thought worked pretty well with that run game. And, you know, really the only issue was, you know, not having uh, either Cody or Trevor enough time to throw the ball the last two seasons. But I really liked that running game. Uh, I'm, I'm really going to like the AJ Ouellette bringing the thunder with Frankie Hicks and bringing the lightning kind of style of run that uh, I think the Riders are going to put together here uh, with, a, with a new offense under Mark Mueller. I think it'll be uh, pretty good. Yeah, he has the look of... Uh a thumper running back and and you look at the teams that won the Grey Cup the last four seasons maybe Montreal was stand back maybe not as much well they still had James Tuck at fullback too so that, like they could could have that kind of blocking back kind of a style Good still protection yes protection yeah and Cody who you know and I l- listen I know there are a lot of fans out there who are thrilled to see Cody win the Grey Cup I was indifferent to it I still don't think he was ever the right fit here Things were not looking so good in Montreal early last year either. That's a team that got fat on some easy opponents and then got hot at just the right time. It's kind of like the 89 Riders who won the Grey Cup. They went 9-9 nine and nine and uh, happened to catch the Edmonton team that went 16-2 and two on their worst day, and the rest is history. And I feel like there are a lot of parallels between those two teams. So I don't think the change at quarterback was ever a mistake. That said, it's never felt like... They've ever had that offensive line, that pass protection scheme ever on the same page. It looked better last year, but still not where you want it. And I feel like, or I wonder if with the combination of a healthy Trevor Harris, who's a quick release quarterback, like he gets the ball out quicker than anybody. I'm sure I I don't have the analytics or film, but if if there's anybody who gets the ball out quicker than Trevor Harris, the very rare in in the league. And the fact that you have a thumper like A.J. Olette to go with the rest of the O-line. My God, if that doesn't if that doesn't fix the sack totals, I don't know what will. Well, will it also help is Jamarcus Hardrick playing offensive tackle for this team too, right? I mean, he was part of that Winnipeg Blue Bomber brick wall that they had for, you know, how many years, right? And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, this offense uh, and what gets put together, right? Uh, and also rumors that the Riders are going to pick up Tim White, potentially. I mean, hopefully not at $300,000, which is what Three Out Nation's been saying, but... Uh, you know, maybe, maybe, right? You know, that makes an offense look uh, mighty scary if you add a Tim White into into Ryderville. I think the Eugene Lewis contract pushed it up to that level. And listen, I don't pick on anybody for the money they get. I actually feel like CFL players are grossly underpaid, even guys who are making six figures for everything they have to go to. These are some of the best athletes in the world, and CFL athletes are badly underpaid. And it's not like the super... You know, I would argue that a lot of NFL players are paid fairly, the ones who make, because most of them are making like the league minimum, which is seven fifty or seven hundred seventy five thousand American, and uh, the athletes we have up here, I think, are just all badly underpaid. That said, I don't think any one position player in the league is worth that kind of money, especially one who doesn't use up a Canadian spot. Yeah, I'd say maybe a, a QB and right. a good QB Sorry, at I mean, that position point. Right. Non-quarterback. Yeah, position non-quarterback yeah. position exactly. player. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, $300,000 for an American receiver seems pretty steep. But, uh, you know, hey, like there will be a team out there that, that pays it. And if not, then that price has to go down, right? Like, uh, you know, a, a you know, a receiver like White is a pretty rare commodity in CFL conversations, and you know he'll he'll land somewhere. It's just whether or not that three hundred thousand dollar mark is where he's going to finish, or where it's going to be the the start, and uh, you work your way down from there. How long do you think he has to sit out there before his uh, 
price drops? Maybe a week, maybe two? I'd give it maybe two weeks. And then uh, after that, I think it drops, you know, a little bit after that. But, uh, you know, we'll see, right? Uh, <laughs> I say this now, uh, Brendan, but uh, he could sign tomorrow, right? And make, a, make us both look silly, right? So that's just the way the CFL free agency works. Still a few other uh, big-name players out there as well, and we will talk more about that with Farhan Lalji in Hour 2 and Luke Mullinder in Hour 3. Time to break. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage for Conexus Arts Centre on the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Wednesday edition of the Sports Cave, brought to you by Connections Art Center. Brendan McGuire and Brian McNally with you. Still coming up in hour number three, we'll talk to Luke Mullinder about all the comings and goings with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. But before we do that, we head out to the Western Pizza Hotline. Very happy to be joined by the voice of the Regina Pats, Dante DeCaria, who uh, I assume is out and about delivering pizzas tonight. Mr. DeCaria, how are you? I'm doing very well. Looking forward to tonight's Western Pizza Have a Heart Night. Okay, explain. What is Western Pizza Have a Heart Night? Yeah, I mean, it's the 26th edition of the Western Pizza Have a Heart Night, and it's an opportunity for fans to get up close and personal with Regina Pat's players as they'll have an opportunity to order pizzas uh, through Western Pizza tonight and have an opportunity to see Regina Pat's players deliver pizzas all across the city right to their doorsteps, sign autographs or get autographs and get pictures and mingle with some of the Pats players, so uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the, the proceeds go to the Hard Stroke Foundation. Last year, the Pats were able to raise uh, upwards of $6,000, and to this date, over the last 25 years, the Pats and Western Pizza have raised $68,000 to the Hard Stroke Foundation. So, uh, looking forward to tonight, that's from 6 to 8 p.m., and uh, Pats players will be assisting with orders, and proceeds from delivery fees and tips will be donated to the Hard Stroke Foundation. Are you are you doing this too, or is it just the players? Well, I mean, I'm kind of tagging along just to get some, you know, some photos and some videos for social media and and for our website and stuff like that. So I'll be kind of in the back of the car. Last year, I had the opportunity to tag along with Alexander Suzalev and uh, Luke Bateman and and Drew Sim, who are no longer with the Regina Pats anymore. But it was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed it. It was it was real cool to you know capture some videos of some of the. The fans getting really excited and, and, and seeing, you know, players knock on the door and, and give them a pizza and, you know, got to see some familiar faces, some season ticket holders that I've seen around the rink and stuff like that, and I've had the opportunity to meet already. So it was a lot of fun last year, and I'm really looking forward to this night. So um, what if I want, like, one of the star players, like Tanner Howe, to show up at my house, and I don't want to get stuck with Dante? Are there, like, strings I got to pull? I'm not too sure. That's a really good question. I know that the kids are kind of spread out throughout the city. I know there's, let me count them, one, two, three, uh, around 10 Western Pizza locations across the city. So there'll be players at all of those locations, at least two at each. Of course, the Pats have 25, 26 players on their roster as we speak. And there's three that are only for a dine-in and delivery. And then there's, I believe, six that are for just delivery service. So... Uh, an opportunity to see some players not only in some of the dining locations, but also uh, delivery as well. And for more details, you can head to reginapats.com to find out some more information on all the locations that Pats players will be at tonight. I'm just joking. I would be delighted to have you deliver my pizza, Dante. Well, you probably won't really see me, though. I'll kind of be in the background. 
Yeah, I, I only got stuck with uh, Connor Bedard and Tanner Howe last year at you my were doorstep. There, that's right. That was awesome. That was a, that was a really cool night. Uh, Dante, you know, maybe just talk about uh, you know some of the anecdotes from uh, some of those uh, former players that uh, got to take part in uh, Western Pizza Have a Heart Night. Kind of what have they thought about you know an event like this where uh, it's it's for a really good cause and uh, you know something that uh, they obviously don't do every day. No, uh, to me, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I remember the first time I ever had a taste of this was when I was working in Junior A in the BC League. I had an opportunity to, to do something like this, and it was a great success when I was working in Powell River. So I know for myself, it's something that, uh, you know, I kind of get really excited for. As far as, you know, the experience that some of the, the players last year took away, I know Connor found it really fun and interesting to help out and see, you know, what it's like to be behind the scenes and see, you know, how hard these people work at Western Pizza and all these various different, you know, uh, restaurants across the city on what they do to make sure that you know people get what they need and stuff like that so um you know obviously it's a great cause but it just kind of puts things in perspective i think for me on you know how easy and how fun it is to just go to the rink every day and play hockey i know they're not playing for a living at this point but just to really have hockey as a job or to be able to play hockey one day as a full-time career like tanner how i'm sure would love to do in the next couple of years compared to, you know, what these guys have to go through every single day and, you know, work extremely long hours. I know my, my uncle, uh, being a former pizzaiolo, he's re- retired now, but uh, he's somebody who moved from, from Naples, Italy, all the way to Toronto, had Pizza Nova, was working on his feet and decided to step away from that field just because, you know, the long hours and the late nights and stuff like that. So, you know, having family that's been working in that industry for a very long time, my family owns a restaurant in Ottawa, I kind of, you know, kind of hits home for me and it just kind of puts things in perspective on, you know, what it's like to be a hockey player and, you know, what other people in different industries have to do to make sure that, you know, uh, people get their food and stuff like that. Our pal Dante DeCaria from the Regina Pats joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like souvlaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today, and you just might get Dante DiCaria as your delivery man tonight. Okay, when I look at the schedule of games mm-hmm. left for your Regina Pats, I counted 15 games left, and it seemed like a lot of the hype around the trade deadline. Well, I'll back up for a second. I like the fact that all these uh, Western teams are coming in. I used to love that growing up because these are teams that you don't get to see regularly, and you can actually see some of the stars that don't come here often. I think they come once... Uh, um, and, and I should mention, because you still have the West Coast road trip, and sorry, I had that backwards. So you're doing the West Coast road trip, but the teams that come in, Swift Current made the trades at the deadline, and Moose Jaw made the trades at the deadline. So if I'm sitting and I'm picking and choosing which games I want to go to, which team has more exciting stars to watch, the Warriors or the Broncos? Well, that's a really good question. Hmm. That's a tough one to answer. Am I able to just play 50-50 or no? No, there is no middle ground here, Dante. You know that. No, you can okay. you can just you can play wherever no, no, you no, want. No, 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 fine. Just for the sake of this game, I'll 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 pick a side. I'm going to go with the Moose Jaw Warriors. I think Matthew Savoy has just been phenomenal ever since he came over for Moose Jaw. He's had an exceptional Western Hockey League career. Somebody who's a high pick of the Buffalo Sabers a couple years ago. I really like Jagger Furkus, Braden Jagger, Denton Matejchuk. They've got a really, really, really talented team. To me, I would give the Moose Jaw Warriors the edge over the Swift Current Broncos. I think Swift Current has one game breaker, and that's Connor Geeky. Outside of that, they have a lot of really good players, but not somebody like Matthew Savoy, Dagger Furkus, 
and a Braden Yeager slash Denton Matejchuk. I like Pickering. I like some of the guys they have on the back end. I like a lot of their players up front as well with Josh Philman. But Josh Philman last year had 47 goals. This year, he's not even going to potentially hit 40, right? Quite surprised with the slow start that he had. And I know Matthew Ward's been a little bit injured for the Broncos this year. Uh, somebody who I really like in terms of his game. These are all great players, the guys that I'm talking about. But to me, I think Mooshja has the elite of the elite. Swift Current has one of those players, but not more than one. And how about Jagger Ferkus, uh, Dante, leading the league in points and also like a 20-plus game point streak, longest in the CHL this season. Uh, he's got to be a special guy to watch uh, from your booth every now and again when uh, Pats take on the Warriors. Well, McNally, he's no Connor Bedard. Last year, a 36-game point streak. That's true. That? that is true. No, no, jokes aside, I mean, he's a, just a... He's a fun player to watch. And to me, to be quite honest with you, my favorite player to watch in the Moose Jaw Warriors is actually Braden Yeager. And I know you guys want to talk about Jagger Ferkus leading the Western Hockey League in points and a 20-game point streak and, you know, the goals that he scores and how he was over a goal per game this season and TSN had him in the top 50 players under the age of 24 or whatever it was. And I think that's all fun and games, and I think he's a really good player. But to me, I love watching Braden Yeager because he's kind of similar in terms of you know, how Tanner Howe plays his game. And I really do, or maybe over the last couple of years, have come to appreciate those guys who do the little things away from the puck. And I'm not saying that Jagger Ferkus is a, you know, a bad defensive hockey player. Obviously, he can hold his own defensively, but I think Braden Jagger is just at the top in terms of that 200-foot player. And I think he's going to be a really good pro. I don't know if he's going to be a first-line center in the NHL, but I definitely think he has a place somewhere in a top nine on a potential playoff or Stanley Cup championship team that's how much i think of Braden yager so it's just so fun to watch those little things that he does with the puck so for pats fans and for western hockey league fans when you watch Braden yager on the ice for the moose Jaw warriors i uh, don't just focus on what he does with the puck focus on some of the things he does away from the puck because to me that is what makes him such an interesting and fun player to watch Dante DeCaria, the voice of the Regina Pats here on 620 CKRM, is our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline. Hey, I always like to update on the playoff situation. I feel like I'm actually thinking about the playoffs as a possibility for the Pats more than a lot of people are. You know, I hear a lot of the rhetoric as well. It's a transition year, and we do the best we can. And anytime you step on the ice, you've got to be thinking about how you're going to get there. And when I, when I look at the standings, uh, Prince Albert's in the seventh spot. And Lethbridge is in the eighth spot, but I feel like because the game Lethbridge has three games in hand, so I feel like if the Pats are going to do this, they have to hunt down the Raiders, and they uh, they're six points apart, but they play each other twice. Is that what it's going to boil down to, Dante? If the your Pats can get a sweep of the Raiders in those two matchups, or maybe are those maybe the dates I should have circled on my calendar? Yeah, that's a really good point that you bring up, and I've got like a whole big calendar kind of on my wall here in my office. And just looking at that in the month of March, you're right. The Regina Pats play the Prince Albert Raiders at home on March 15th. And then they head on the road on March 20th for their third and final game of the season, or one of their final games of the season. So, yeah, those are really important games. But I don't think the team is looking that far ahead. It might boil down to that. I'm not too sure. Or it might boil down to the games coming up this weekend, a home-and-home set with the Swift Current Broncos. And then Monday is a 2 o'clock start against the Calgary Hitmen and then a crucial six-game U.S. road trip coming up in late February or next week, pardon me, and then in early March. So, yeah, no, some big games coming up. To me, we can't focus on these head-to-head games. We just have to focus on the games that are coming up. The Regina Pats need to take care of their own business. Forget about 
you know, head-to-head against Prince Albert in the month of March, right? There's still 15 games left in the season. The Regina Pats need to find a way to get five, four, or six points this weekend. Nothing less than four points this weekend with a home-and-home set with Swift Current, and then you play Calgary. To me, in a perfect world, the Regina Pats would split against Swift Current, so they get two of a possible four points or three of a possible four points, and then they get the full two points on Monday against Calgary heading to that U.S. road trip. To me, that would be in a perfect world. Probably it would be six points, but second tier to that would probably be picking up four or five of six points and most importantly beating Calgary on Monday. And, you know, that U.S. road trip that uh, you mentioned, Dante, coming late in the season here uh, this year. uh, Tough timing here for the Pats, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of weird that it's happening in February. I kind of look back, and for the most part, a lot of these road trips would come, you know, early on in the season in November when Agribition is on, right? Like, isn't that kind of normal for you guys that are from here? So, yeah, it's interesting. It really is interesting, and maybe it's coming at a tough time in the season, or maybe it's coming at a good time in the year, because remember, there's only nine players remaining from last year's roster that would have went on that BC road trip in November. So a lot of these players haven't had a whole lot of time to get to know each other and you know become you know bonded together because of the the moves that alan miller made over the course of the season like i just mentioned regina pats you know have nine players left from last year's roster so a lot of new faces and yes they played together for over a month or so since the new year's eve trades that alan miller made but overall i think this schedule comes at a good time for the regina pats just because they have essentially all of these players returning to next year's roster outside of three guys who are overagers and Obviously, they're going to have to make some decisions on a couple of 19-year-olds who can't return to next year's roster due to the fact that you can only have three of them. And I think the Pats have five 2004-born players on their team, so they're going to have to make a couple of decisions heading into next year. But again, if you really think about it, the Pats are going to have like 93% of the roster returning next year. So I think this U.S. road trip is extremely important for this team, not only towards the end of the season, but also into next year as well, where guys are going to have an opportunity to spend two weeks together on the bus and bond together. And I never really knew how important it was until I went on that BC road trip last year with the group. You know, that was a really fun road trip. The Pats went 5-1, and one, so they won some games. But they also had, you know, a lot of fun kind of spending time together and, you know, being in the hotel rooms together and, you know, having meals together, being on the bus, most importantly, through the, you know, the long bus ride. I think it was, what, 26 hours it took us to get to BC. So... Uh, That was a lot of fun. So to me, I think if you look at it in two ways, not only this year but next year, I'm really happy with how the schedule kind of lined up, to be honest with you. Maybe that's the time for them to really become a team and get on the same page going into the offseason because so many of them are back next year. makes total sense. Hey, um, before we go, I just thought of something. So uh, you Mm -hmm. do the games on this radio station, and I did radio hockey play-by-play for many years in Estevan, Windsor, Ontario, and I loved it. I did games on Access as well. Ryan Mack does games on Access. Uh, have you done a lot of games for TV, Dante, or, or mostly just radio? That's a good question. I don't think I've ever done any TV games other than the Red Sox games. Okay, and what about you, Ryan? Have you done radio? Have you done I, hockey play-by-play on radio or just on the TV? I have one game of radio experience. Uh, it was for the Humboldt Broncos, and I did it off of my cell phone. Oh, very nice. Well, any, any radio... <laughs> oh, I remember those days. Yeah, any, any radio play-by-play guy in Saskatchewan has done at least one of those. So I've done quite a bit on both, and I actually much prefer radio because the sh- you are the show. You get to paint the picture. Well, hold on a minute. I'm not the show. It's not, it's, it's you, when, not, when, you're, when, you're, when it's your voice, 
and you're telling me, the listener, what's happening, you are 1,000% the show. Uh-uh. No way. No way, Jose. The, the, the broadcast is not about Dante. It is about the Regina Pats. Yeah, I disagree. It's about Dante and the Pats. You're a package deal. But I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, McNally's importance is very minimal to what I'm watching. No, because I he's complimentary. Whereas it's Dante. Like you, you're you're not going to get away from the fact that it's everything goes through Dante. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, to draw a comparison, doing it on radio. You're the quarterback. Everything goes through you. When when it's done on TV, I don't know. You're, you're more like um, an offensive lineman. I don't know. You're just well, facilitating things. Well, I don't know if you want me to chime in on this, but it's it's funny you bring that up. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to to shadow Chris Foster as the voice of the Chicago Blackhawks when we were in Calgary. So that was a lot of fun. Sat beside him and Darren Pang as they called the Blackhawks and Flames games. Uh, I believe it was end of January, and it was a lot of fun to see how they do things on TV. And it was the first time that I'd ever been in a TV broadcast booth, especially at the NHL level. And it was it was very interesting on how things worked and. And, you know, what you didn't have to describe and what you did have to describe and a lot of the anecdotes and, and conversation that you would have between, you know, you and the color guy and stuff like that and, you know, having the stats guy and a producer, you know, throw to you for different things and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, radio, it's, it's a little bit more free, you know, compared to TV, right? I mean... And you can screw up a lot more on radio, too, and nobody can call you out on it. Well... I, well, to be honest, technically I could be called out because the games are on WHL Live as well. Right? Mm. So I'm doing both. Right? So if I make a mistake and I'm calling, you know, I said right-wing side, it was the left-wing side, someone watching it on WHL Live could say, hey, what the heck is he talking about? What is he watching? Yeah, well, I mean, and you get that sometimes when people sit in the stands. I, I actually still take the little transistor radios to the game. Um, and I, you, you know, I do that for the Ryder games. I've done it for the Pat games. But anyways, don't ever feel like you're not a big, important part of the broadcast, Dante DiCaria. And when you and your agent are uh, shopping around or looking for a raise, never forget that. Well, you know, I'm, I appreciate you saying that. But the reason why I say that, and I wasn't getting mad at you or anything like that, Brendan, but the reason why I bring that up is because at the end of the day, I feel my job, my duty is calling hockey games is to paint the picture for the fans and to talk about what's happening on the ice. It's not about me. It's about the team that is playing on the ice. And anytime you think about it's all about you, it's all about you, it's about the Dante show, it's the Dante show, that's when I feel you kind of get away to what the important part is about broadcasting. And to me, I feel it's my duty to service the fans, the listener, Right, that's the most important thing. And to me, I have to paint the picture as best as possible. I have to make the game exciting. I have to deliver the facts, and I have to educate the people that are that are listening to the game. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing my job. Call it like it is. One of my favorite broadcasters was Dave Van Horn, and he always said the Montreal Expo radio guy. And he said, "I would never do like a huge call on a strikeout to try and get on the highlights or anything like that. I think you do a disservice." So, very well said. Go deliver some pizzas. I will. Thank you so much, my friend. Okay, that is Dante DiCaria from the Regina Pats. A couple of broadcasts coming up this weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, the Swift Current Broncos home and home here on the almighty 620 CKRM. Time to break. You are listening to the Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage on the voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. The Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking Riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. 
hour two of this edition of the Sports Cage, uh, brought to you by the Connexus Arts Centre. And I know uh, Ryan Mack has some very unfortunate news, but this edition of the program uh, brought to you by the Connexus Arts Centre, as I mentioned. High Valley with Tim and the Glory Boys, February 20th at the Connexus Arts Centre. Tickets available at ConnexusArtsCentre.ca. Hey, you don't have that new stinger, the Zinger Stinger. No, I don't. Okay. I'm not that fancy, uh, Brendan. I'm just I'm just the guy here on the radio pushing buttons. But uh, unfortunately, got to break some uh, bad news, uh, folks, as uh, one person has died and nine people have been injured after the uh, shooting at the uh, Kansas City Chiefs victory parade today. Uh, details still pretty thin on this one here, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's not a good uh, sight when it's supposed to be a good, happy, fun time, and it turns into a pretty tragic one. I wouldn't think of Kansas City as the type of place where you'd have to worry about that happening, but I'm being very stereotypical, right? Saying, oh, it happens in this city, not in that city. It could happen in any city. could happen in Regina. It really could, right? But I mean, that's yeah, really too bad because is, it's like supposed to be this really fun, happy, exciting event. And, you know, I've watched a lot of the footage over the years of the uh, New York Yankee and New York Mets. The, you know, New York does a really, really good parade. And it almost just sucks the, the life out of it because you realize how unimportant the Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl really is when something like that happens. Well, and you think back uh, five years ago when the Toronto Raptors won their uh, NBA title and just the shots, the crowd shots of that parade and Mm -hmm. how many people were just crushed into the streets to see that parade. And, you know, I didn't see very many uh, camera shots of uh, the Kansas City parade, I'll be honest, uh, today. But, uh, yeah, it's it's, a pretty pretty, uh, poor day uh, when you think about it. And, And that's what people are going to remember about today is a shooting that killed somebody, injured nine others, as opposed to, oh, we're celebrating another Super Bowl victory in Kansas City. But the only impression I had from my stop in Kansas City, I was there at a Chiefs game when they played the Giants. It was the first year of Andy Reid. And I just remember the state trooper, they were all real friendly, but I remember he was directing traffic and he had this big hat and he had this giant stogie in his mouth that he was just waving traffic through. And I said, that's something you never see in Canada. But all the locals were really nice, really friendly. And um, the fact that something like this happened is a real killer. And, you know, I don't want to I, I overstate the importance of their parade because their what happens to the chiefs and their parade is secondary to what happened to the person who lost their life but when this kind of stuff happens it feels like the further we get in the future one more thing gets taken from us and you wonder that if this happens frequently enough eventually we're just not going to have parades yeah it's uh it's a it's a real bummer isn't it brendan i mean you know i i remember uh rider gray cup parades right and you know uh meeting up at the legislature and uh you know celebrating with the gray cup i i can't imagine a, a world without you know being able to celebrate something without uh people ruining it well we will talk more about that coming up uh luke mullinder will join us and we will uh, talk about some SJHL news. Really, really interesting stuff. Elliot Friedman reported on his Twitter that the Humboldt Broncos lost their goalie. I think it was to the Cowichan Valley Capitals or some big issue. All those teams in BC are wackadoo. They've all broken away from Hockey Canada. And, and the sure five teams in Alberta, too. Right? right, who've broken away. So just chaos. The only place that has any sanity is here in Saskatchewan. So we'll talk about that in hour three. Time to break. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan 620 CKRM. (laughs) 
Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage. Brennan McGuire and Ryan McNally for Conexus Arts Center. High Valley with Tim and the Glory Boys, February 20th at the Conexus Arts Center. Tickets available at ConexusArtsCenter.ca. Still ahead here in Hour 2, we'll hear from Skylar Ackerman, who will be the skip for Team Saskatchewan at the Scotty Tournament of Hearts. That's starts on Friday, and uh, in Hour 3, we will touch base with Luke Mullender and a few other news and notes around CFL free agency as well. But right now, we go out to the Western Pizza Hotline, where we are joined fresh off his trip to the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, Farhan Lalji. Farhan, thank goodness you went to the Super Bowl and not the parade. Did you see the story? Yeah, I have. I've just been watching the coverage. Um, insane. You know, it's a spot that I was at last year. You know, I covered the draft. Uh, in the spring and generally we stay outside of union station like there's some hotels kind of in that area and uh, I, I was there i i see the pictures and see the the aerial coverage and i, I standing you know right where a lot of that happened so it's um uh just shocking to to see that that happened you know parade ended and they're wrapping up and the players are leaving and all of a sudden gunshots are fired and one uh, person dead uh, 10 to 15 others injured five seriously injured and you know, community now in mourning, right? I mean, what was supposed to be a celebratory event for so many people uh, turned wrong for so many reasons, right? I mean, I could just imagine being a family member, knowing that your family member was going to a, a parade, like a celebratory event like this, and and that's what they had to witness or, or potentially be physically impacted by. You live in a great city of Vancouver, and um, I remember there was the 94 Stanley Cup riots, and then when the Olympics came, everything went so well, and even the public gathering to watch the gold medal game, and everybody thought, we're past this, and then the Stanley Cup riots happened. So I guess you just never know when something like that's going to jump up, and I don't want to compare people looting to someone actually losing their life like what happened in Kansas City. Well, that, but that's the whole point, right? I mean, this is this is going to again bring up the same BS argument they have in the United States all the time surrounding sensible gun laws. And what was the difference, right? I mean, think of the number of people that committed crime at the 94 and 2011 Stanley Cup riots. Think about that, right? But we didn't have death. Why didn't we have death? We didn't have death because we didn't have guns. So many handguns and floating around, you, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, like police officers obviously did, but, you know, there's a difference, right? Like, you just don't have accessible guns that people who, um, you know, struggle can can have or people who are just, like, you don't know what reason is in somebody's head. So then, you know, you get into these arguments and people that want to, that that are supportive of everybody having guns, they like, well, it's a mental health issue. Well, it's not, right? Like, you, you want to take guns away from people that might have mental health issues. This is a gun issue. And, you know... Yeah, so just the fact that this is a country that doesn't have sensible gun laws, we're not trying to take guns away, just have sensible gun laws like they don't have them. And, you know, it's a, it's a critical election issue, right? It's it's insane. And, and we go through this all the time and, you know, and people lose their lives and we continue to go through it and people say thoughts and prayers and, and nothing comes of it, right? And that's just kind of the frustrating part of just seeing it happen again and again and again and everybody thinks about it. No one does anything about it. Kind of, it's sad that something like that has to make us appreciate where we live in Canada uh, when we see some of those issues south of the border. Um, on to a different issue that's not quite so dire, not really a cheery issue either. Um, I know you broke the news about Jamal Morrow uh, not passing his physical. He will not be signing with the Calgary Stampeders. That's got to throw into a wrench into uh, Dave Dickinson's free agent plans, his roster plans, doesn't it? 
Yeah, to a point. I'll be honest. I was surprised when the news broke that they had agreed to a deal with Jamal Morrow. And I say that because the organization had gone through a process of basically picking between three backs and keeping two of them. And Kadeem Carey was the odd man out. So I was surprised that uh, they would go out of their way to get Jamal Morrow, which is not to say anything negative about the player. I think Morrow's a really good player and he's a very complete back, but it just didn't make sense that they had gotten rid of um, Kadeem Carey to clear the decks for Diedrich Mills and Peyton Logan. Now, my understanding is that Mills was going to be the bell cow. That was the deal. Um, and that uh, Morrow would be coming in to compete with Peyton Logan, and they had very similar contracts, and it was just going to be a you know a, a depth back, but a roster spot that could also be a returner, and you know a guy that could potentially take advantage of in a few different ways. So I don't think he was necessarily being brought in to compete with Mills, who's going to be their feature guy going into training camp. But um, so I, I don't think it's a huge dent in their plans. I mean, usually if you're going to bring in you know two backs like that, like one of those guys would be a uh, would be a younger player or a rookie, right? So uh, I'm sure they'll go about that process and try to find a guy that way. But uh, either way, Moore's a good player. And, and if he's not past that physical, I don't know who he's going to pass. So, it, you know, it obviously puts a temporary halt on his career. Could you see a scenario by which um, maybe he is not at the ability that the Stampeders expected him to have at the salary that they had expected him to uh, to be able to perform, but still good enough to play. Like another team could sign him maybe just for a lower dollar value, maybe more incentive-laden. And could you envision a scenario where this opens the door, reopens the door just a crack for him to wind up back in Saskatchewan? Um, I don't think dollars had anything to do with it, right? I mean, like I said, he, he was being given a contract that was commensurate with kind of a part-time returner player. Uh, it was not a big number at all, like not a big number. That would not have been the reason why um, Calgary didn't make it work out, right? So, you know, for me, what will have to happen is they'll have to go through a process where he continues to rehab or address the area of concern and that maybe in April or May, uh, at that point, he's in a position to pass a physical, and then every team might be interested in him. It could be Saskatchewan again. It could be Calgary. Uh, you know, it could be anybody uh, because, again, the guy's a quality player. So as long as everyone's convinced he's healthy, uh, then I think he can move forward. But I think that's going to take some time. So, you know, when I say a temporary stop to his career, that doesn't mean I don't think he's going to play this year. But, um, you know, this wasn't a case of, well, we needed him to do more. Therefore, he needed to be extra healthy. It's not like that. I, I just think that he didn't pass a standard physical. Our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline is TSN's Farhan Lalji. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like savlaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. So we had AJ Olette in studio earlier in this program, and a lot of the locals are excited. Did you wrestle with him? What's that? Did you wrestle with him? No, I wouldn't dare. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't stand a chance. But it's fake, right? He could have given you a chance just because okay. it's fake. Yeah, sure, I guess. That's why I never got into <laughs> it either. But is, is there, um, you know, and, and, and I'm going to be brutally honest. Last year, I was in this chair filling in for, for some vacationing hosts, and all the hubbub was about how the riders did so well in free agency and were probably the big winners. And, you know, if Trevor Harris doesn't get injured and doesn't get his leg all rolled up, maybe it still turns out that way. But it didn't. And so now here we are again in February, and I guess I'm just having a really tough time putting too much stock into the CFL free agency thing. Are you getting a sense that teams around the league feel like the Rough Riders won a sweepstakes here for A.J. Olette? 
Um, I wouldn't say a sweepstakes, but I, I think that, uh, like for me, I was asked yesterday who my big winner is. Uh, and, and, you know, there were a few teams that made out quite well, but I think the Riders topped the list in my mind. Uh, I think they made big additions throughout their lineup, uh, you know, virtually in every position group, right? I mean, they got... They added Jamarcus Hardrick, which makes them significantly better along the offensive line. They added A.J. Olette. That makes them better in the backfield, right? I mean, this guy is a physical, bruising runner that um, I think is as good as any other running back in, in the league, right? I mean, you know, you look at Brady Oliveira, who I'm a big fan of, uh, and Brady got paid $70,000 more, which is probably primarily due to passport, right? Because he can change the ratio. But in terms of actual ability, A.J. Olette's as good as any back in the league. So I think you improve there. That's going to make Trevor Harris that much better because you can bring a play-action element to the game. You can you can just attack so many more parts of the field because it lets also get out of the backfield. So, uh, you know, it's going to make those receivers better. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball, and they got Jameer Thurman, who is, you know, every bit as good as Larry Dean and probably faster and definitely younger. And uh, Malik Carney along the defensive line is a, is a solid player. Uh, Jalen Edwards-Cooper, who I've watched very closely here in B.C. for a long time, when Jalen Edwards-Cooper is healthy – and that's if, right? Because he misses a lot of time. But when he's healthy, he's as good as you know, like he, he's a top five corner in the CFL, right? I, I truly believe that when he's healthy. Um, and uh, you know, and Adam claire has got some position flexibility and can can help. Is he a full time starter anymore? I don't know, but he's good enough to start, so he's going to help as well. So for them to get that much volume, quality volume, not just bodies, at every element of that roster. Uh, I think it's a really good thing. So I, I don't know that I necessarily picked them to have won a sweepstakes last year, right? I mean, we all kind of felt they upgraded with Trevor Harris over Cody Fajardo. But but beyond that, you know, I, I don't know that there was the level of significance of addition that you're having now. So uh, I think Jeremy O'Day, in, in a real pressure year for him, has done a very, very good job. Uh, Farhan, looking at the depth chart so far, what do you think the Riders still need to add to, you know, maybe give them that final piece uh, to maybe make a playoff run here uh, in 2024? Well, you know, I think, can can they improve at receiver potentially? You know, I thought they might be in on one of the the higher-end receivers, and it didn't work out because they they did a good job of of spending money in other areas. Um, So, look, I I think Sean Bain is good, and I think when they're healthy, you know, Keen Schaefer-Baker is, you know, as good a Canadian receiver as there is in the league, and he's, he's as good as most receivers regardless of passport. Uh, you know, I think he's exceptional. Sam Emelis took a step last year. Can they get Braden Lennius healthy? You know, so I think they've got some good pieces there and some racial flexibility, but maybe one more um, at the receiver spot. But, uh, you, you, you know, you can't have everything. And I think they need to improve their back end in the secondary as well. Uh, but, you know, Cooper's a, a real good piece there, right? But um, potentially could they add somewhere else in the secondary? I think so. Um, but, again, I, like I look at the roster now and I don't necessarily see a glaring weakness, whereas – Maybe at this time a year ago, there were there were a few glaring weaknesses, right? That'll make the fan base feel reassured that it's somebody from outside the province who's actually saying, hey, this team looks legit at this point. And I know you mentioned uh, they could maybe use a receiver, and uh, Ryan was talking that Tim White is still out there, and who knows if he comes down on his price. Yeah, but they can't, you know, they, like, they can't afford Tim White at, at his number. And, you know, the thing is, is that every personnel department, and I say this every year, right, every personnel department needs to find three things in any given year. You need to find a field side corner, right? Because that's the entry position in the league, right? You eventually come in as a field side corner like Edwards Cooper did, and then eventually that guy gets really good and you move him to a halfback spot or a boundary spot once they get comfortable with the game. You need to find, you know, a fourth or fifth receiver. Like you should be able to find a receiver. 
and you need to find a rotational pass rusher. That should be something, if your personnel department can't do that, then your personnel department is not very good, right? And, you know, and I know that, um, you know, with, uh, with Paul Jones and others, they've got a good personnel department. So um, I think that um, those things are, you've, you've got to develop and bring guys in at some point, and people have to, have to accept some of those things, right? I mean, I, I know from a BC Lions standpoint, Three years ago, they brought in a ton of young guys, and they, you know, they kind of grew and eventually, you know, got better, and it's led to two pretty good regular seasons for them, even though it hasn't led to a great cup. But Jalen Edwards Cooper was one of those players, right, that you kind of bring in, and then at some point, either in year one or year two, you throw that guy in, and you know, and and we see what comes of them, and then eventually they kind of grow into bigger spots, right? So I think the fans want everybody to be experienced today, and I just don't think that's how the CFL should be working. We had uh, talked uh, before free agency and had even suggested maybe Jake Dolagala would be a good fit for the BC Lions. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think you suggested he was maybe third on the Lions' wish list. Now, we know that they've got a more than competent starting QB with Vernon Adams Jr. But that said, in this league, and, and history has shown, you need to have a backup. Uh, and with VA, because he does get injured from time to time. Do you feel like the Lions are satisfied with who they ended up with, even though he might not have been their number one choice to be the backup. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they uh, he was probably 2B or 2A, right? I think their number one choice was Matthew Shills, um, who had was in a position to command a bit more because he's played more. And I think he wanted to go to Calgary because I think if you're backing up Vernon Adams or you're backing up Jake Mayer, there might be a better opportunity to push Mayer for playing time based on what happened with both quarterbacks a year ago. I'm not saying it'll turn out that way, but VA was clearly better than Jake last year. Um, so, But they had zero in their building to push Jake. Well, now they have somebody to push Jake. So it made more sense for, for Matthew Shields to go to Calgary. So I think in terms of Jake Dolagala and Char- Taylor Cornelius, I don't think there was a big choice between the two. Um, they, you know, they, they went through a process where they had both guys spend time with Jordan McSimmick and try to get a sense of, uh, the offense and for him to get a sense of who might pick up on it a little bit better and things of that nature. Right. So, um, yeah, I, so they went through with both and I, and then I think it, it seemed like in the last day or two that there was a lead, uh, towards Dola Gala. Um, you know, I, I think maybe the one lure of Cornelius might've been that he, he moves better with his legs and could therefore do some of the same things Vernon Adams might be able to do. Whereas when you look at Jake, he's a completely different quarterback. Um, but uh, but that said, I think they did well to get him. I bet he did some good things in Saskatchewan last year. Quite frankly, I was surprised the organization picked Mason Fine over Dolagala and, and let him be um, available, right? So I think if you're the Lions, um, I think you probably feel as good as you can currently about your backup situation. It, it's not Dane Evans, but uh, I think Dolagala's played some, and uh, they should feel comfortable there. Uh, you and a lot of li- people listening, and, and me, and I can't speak for Ryan, I think a lot of us were surprised that the Riders didn't re-sign Jake Dolagal and ended up with Mason Fine. But I have to say about Vernon Adams Jr., uh, if he hadn't solidified himself as a strong starting quarterback before last season, he did it last year, especially that effort here in Regina when he passed for over 400 yards. And it kind of makes me respect Chris Jones and his ability to evaluate quarterbacks because I remember he was in love with Vernon Adams Jr. and none of us could figure out why. And now we understand why. So that's why he's on the sideline coaching and, you know, I'm here on the radio talking (laughs) with you. But Farhan, this has been great. I appreciate it. And go enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. All right. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. That is Farhan Lalji from TSN joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Still ahead, 
in hour two of this edition of the Sports Cage. We'll talk with Skylar Ackerman, the skip of Team Saskatchewan at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. You're listening to the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Hour two on the Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage. Brennan McGuire and Ryan McNally. Still ahead in this edition of the program, the floor coverings international. Where are they now? Segment Dan Rasevich will join us. And we'll have a little more CFL talk there in our final segment. Uh, lots of curling discussion coming up, of course. The Sports Cage will be at the Briar, March 1st to 10th, and our episodes will be on at the same time during the week. Uh, on the weekends, 2 to 5. Yes. Just a little bit earlier. You're going to be down there? I hope to be. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, oh yeah. I thought you were doing every episode. Down I'd, I'd like to. That'd be awesome. Maybe um, it's news. Maybe I know and you don't know, and it's a surprise. <laughs> well, surprise. Uh, I applied for my media pass today, so uh, hopefully I get into the Briar because it's always fun. I covered it when it was uh, here in 2018, and uh, it was it was a blast so uh hoping we can uh, do it again i believe that was brandon botcher's first briar final that year because he still had that young team with kark martin and mm. uh you know um oh their third darren was, molding the yeah darren molding overboard he yes all the drama yeah yeah that was a, that was a good briar that was fun and uh, that was when matt dunstone represented saskatchewan uh, at the briar and of course now he he changed his colors he went back home uh he's uh representing a manitoba rink and uh yeah looking forward to you know seeing that uh team out there as well as team mike McEwen, who uh you know he's on his third province now as uh he's joined saskatchewan where was he before manitoba Ontario? uh he was ontario last year and then manitoba before that Okay, gotcha. So, so he's moved around. Do you like that, all the flip-flopping? I do, actually. It kind of makes curling feel legitimate, right? Because we have a full week of shows, basically, here on the Sports Cage talking about CFL free agency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we talk about, you know, NFL free agency seemingly 12 months of the year. We talk about NHL free agency seemingly, you know, 10 to 12 months a year, too. Like, why not? Why not let it be curling too, right? Like this, like they make money on the tour, you know. If makes it feel more like an entertainment, it does. Sport. It really does. And uh, I understand like the rules that they're you know implementing because the Briar is still a very traditional sport in the sense that you have to come from your province to to be there. I mean, less so this year with uh, some qualifier spots and whatnot. But uh, no, I just I love it. I th- I think it's a it's a really unique thing in curling. Uh, in this day and age for uh, guys to be bouncing around the way they are and uh, even on the on the women's side too right for, for Olympic qualifying big loss with uh, Jennifer Jones leaving and I'll get to that but uh, you can chime in on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line at 306-936-6262 I know we hope to get her on this program to give her a proper farewell after a great career for those who didn't see it uh, she is Hanging up her broom after a very fruitful career on the women's side. Yeah, you know, uh, arguably the greatest uh, female curler of all time uh, is uh, stepping away after this season. Uh, she'll still do mixed doubles with uh, Brent Lang, her husband, uh, uh, you know, and do that to her. It's, it's a little bit easier, uh, I'll be honest, uh, especially for Jennifer, who doesn't do a lot of sweeping uh, for the Rocks, because I think Brent sweeps all five. Uh, that's the way they play. Have you played it? 
Mixed I, doubles? I have played doubles? mixed doubles. Okay. It's it's tricky. It's hard. Um, Why? I, just because you're chasing your own rock? You're chasing your own rock. Uh, there's always rocks in play. I like having it nice and clean when I play. Um, that's just the style I've always you know played is, oh, there's a rock in the house? Okay, take it out. Whereas like, no, you got to be a little more strategic than that. Right? How, many, With, how many rocks do you throw? Because you throw, what, eight in a normal end. How many do you throw, does each team throw when you have mixed doubles? Is it the uh, same, same amount? You have five, and then there's six rocks in play of your color, right? So each end, it, it alternates with like just a kind of ghost rock in the four foot. Oh, they and, set it up yeah, first. Before they'll they'll it. set it up first and then uh, throw their five. So, yeah, it's it's a new thing. Um, I, I like watching it. I don't like playing it. I'll be honest. I definitely prefer the four-person playing as opposed to the uh, mixed doubles. I know we did that one night in Milestone. We closed down the bar, and uh, one of the other um, female players said, well, it's okay if you're struggling. Mixed doubles is hard. And I said, well, you don't understand. I struggle no matter what kind we're going to do. But <laughs> it's, a, it's a little more challenging. Throws a, a wrinkle into it. Probably helps with the growth of the sport, as we saw in the uh, Netflix documentary that they did. On, um, was it Pat Ryan? Is it, if you haven't seen it. Could be, yeah. Give it a search on Netflix. Time to break. Still ahead in this edition of the program, we'll hear from Skylar Ackerman of Team Saskatchewan. You're listening to the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Hour two on the Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage. Brennan McGuire and Ryan McNally with you. Still ahead in hour three, we will hear from Jamie Neugebauer, the voice of the Notre Dame Hounds. Find out what's all this business about that's even got Elliot Friedman and his Twitter account all bothered about players leaving the SJHL for BC right before the playoffs. We've had players leave for BC my god back to when i covered junior hockey 20 years ago but now it just seems like it's getting to another level and there's all kinds of chaos so we will talk about that of course 620 ckrm is your home of the 2024 montana's briar coming to the queen city from march 1st to 10th we will be live from the briar throughout the event during the week we'll be on at our regular time and on weekends two to five uh ryan mcnally myself barney shinkruck Maz will be doing the show uh, from down at, under the orange top, and I know we're excited about that. And earlier, when did you talk to Skylar? I uh, talked to her this morning. This morning. Okay. And uh, she is getting set to start this year's Scotty's Tournament of Hearts and visited with Ryan this morning. We'll listen to that right now. And joining me on the Western Pizza Hotline, Skylar Ackerman, the skip uh, for Team Saskatchewan, uh, coming up at the Scotties here this weekend. Uh, Skylar, how's it going uh, here today? I'm doing good. How are you? That's good to hear. I'm doing fairly well as well. Uh, first things first, I wanted to get your reaction to uh, Jennifer Jones stepping away from the game of curling. I, I imagine she she's someone you watched uh, growing up. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's it's a bit surprising. She's still at the top of her game right now and being really successful. Um, but that being said, she's been in it for a long time, so I can understand where she's coming from. But yeah, definitely, I grew up watching her and saw the legacy that she made in this sport, and it's unbelievable how much success she's had. And she's someone I really, really look up to in the sport and hope to have as much success as in the future. And uh, possibly you get to see her this weekend uh, when you appear at the Scotties uh, in Calgary. Am I correct in saying this is your first Scotties? 
I went as the fifth with Team Silvernagle last year, but this is the first time that I'll be like representing with my own team. Alrighty, so I guess uh, what are you imagining it's going to be like uh, to skip your own team uh, at the Scotties? I imagine it's something you've dreamed of doing uh, for quite some time. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's literally a dream come true for the whole team. It's something we've dreamed about since we were little kids watching on TV to wear the green jacket in front of a big crowd at the Scotties. And to be able to do that this week with some of my best friends and with my dad by my side, is, it's going to be pretty special. And I'm, it's it's pretty unbelievable, and I can't wait. And you've had uh, provincial success uh, on the junior circuit. Uh, I imagine uh, you know you're looking to transfer that over to uh, you know the Scotties and the the national event uh, coming up here this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've all got a bit of experience at that national level in juniors or university, so I think carrying that forward with us is going to help a little bit. And then just carrying the momentum that we've had all season into Calgary, I think, is going to help a lot as well. And again, you uh, mentioned this is your uh, second uh, Scotty's appearance, of course, last year, uh, the first time. What was that experience like for you? It was really great last year getting to go along as the alternate with Team Silvernagel. Um, I learned a lot just like about the event in general and all the things that kind of go on behind the scenes besides just the curling. So I think... And then having Amber along as well, I think our team has a bit of an idea and is feeling a little comfortable going into the event than we would have been otherwise. Skylar Ackerman uh, here joining us on the uh, Western Pizza Hotline. Uh, again, uh, your first as a skip uh, for the uh, Scotty's Tournament of Hearts and uh, somewhat close to home. I guess it's in Calgary, but, uh, you know, it's it's uh, obviously not the Briar coming up uh, here in Regina. Uh, I guess, uh, uh, again, like, uh, what are you expecting? And, uh, again, I'm, I'm sure you've been to a Scotty's event or two in person as a fan, but uh, I guess what are you expecting the atmosphere to be like? I think the atmosphere is going to be is going to be pretty unbelievable. We've got a ton of family and friends coming to watch since it is kind of close by, and it's a smaller venue. But I think and ticket sales seem like they're going really well. I think they're selling standing room only right now, so it's going to be pretty packed in there. And I'm pretty excited to hear the cowbells and the fans for sure. How's this uh, season gone for you uh, for for your team uh, so far? Obviously, you know the uh, win at the uh, provincial Scotties, but uh, other than that, uh, how's the tour been? Pretty good. We kind of had a steady incline all season, started off a little patchy at the beginning there in August, September, put in a ton of work early on in the season and then just kind of trusted our processes and trusted the work we were putting in and knew that the results would come, tried to stay patient with that. And then, yeah, kind of as the season progressed, we found more and more wins and then were able to pick up three wins on the SAS tour this year. And then leading into provincials, I think that just carried us through and helped us find our peak there. And take us back to those uh, provincial Scotties. Uh, obviously, not your first, but uh, you know, uh, what was that like uh, for you to uh, finally get a get a win uh, here at the provincial Scotties in Tisdale? It was pretty awesome. Um, like I said, it's something me and my whole team have dreamed about uh, getting to represent Saskatchewan and wear that green jacket at the Scotties. So to be able to do that is is pretty special, and um, we're we're all really excited to just and honored to represent the province in Calgary. Um, we worked really, really hard all season and to see our hard work come to fruition there in Tisdale was, was pretty spectacular. 
It took an 11th end to beat uh, Nancy Martin. What was your mindset going into that 11th end uh, in that final? Um, well, we were glad we had the hammer. That was for sure. We just wanted to, our between end break was just that, you know what, let's just keep it open, try to keep it open and make sure we have a shot with our last one. Hopefully something we've thrown already this game in a spot that we know. Um, and we just kind of took it one shot at a time and, and when it came to the end there, we had that shot that we had thrown over in that spot earlier in the end. So we just kind of trusted that we knew the spot and trusted that we knew how to throw it and how to manage the rock down the ice. And we got that little roll to the top of the button there. And then when it stopped, we were all pretty, pretty excited. That's for sure. And you open up uh, play at the uh, National Scotties coming up here this weekend, uh, Friday night against uh, Prince Edward Island. Uh, what are you imagining that first game is going to be like? I think it's going to go by really fast. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to just step on the ice for the first time wearing the green and um, with all my teammates. Um, I think it's going to be pretty good. I think we're maybe going to keep it open for the first couple ends, find our, find our bearings there in Calgary. But uh, once we get settled in, just take things one shot at a time and try not to worry too much about the outcome there, but just take things we'll focus on ourselves. Alrighty, well, Skylar Ackerman, we're all cheering for you back here in Regina. Thank you again so much here for the time today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Saskatchewan Rough Riders, where are they now for Floor Coverings International coming ahead in our three? Dan Rasovich, the longtime special teams ace and linebacker, will join us. Also, um, well, we've got some hockey talk with Jamie Neugebauer about the SJHL, and Luke Mullinder will do a little more CFL talk as well in hour three of the program. Brennan McGuire and Ryan McNally with you on this Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage. And uh, coming up Friday, I'm really excited about this. Ron Snyder, uh, who is an author, he's done some work, I believe, with the Baltimore Sun. I probably should have researched that before I spouted it off on the radio. Uh, But he did a book uh, about the Baltimore Stallions, the brief, brilliant history of the CFL champion franchise. And I don't know how many of our listeners will love that topic so much. I know that when the Canadian Football League had American expansion franchises, uh, I was a young fan. And there was a lot of fear. There was also a lot of excitement because uh, a guy by the name of Ermius Gabri and I went to all the games. We went to a lot of the practices in that 94 and 95 season. And I remember just how excited we were to learn about the Memphis Mad Dogs, the Birmingham Barracudas, the Baltimore CFL Colts, who later became the Stallions, Shreveport. Some of them were Bush League cities that the CFL probably never should have gone in. The Las Vegas Posse, the Sacramento Gold Miners, the San Antonio Texans. I go through these um, obsessions with different historical sports, sporting events. I went through a phase where I couldn't get enough reading about the Montreal Expos and the possibility of them coming back. And then maybe I got a little bit tired of that. Maybe I'll go back to that. And now I've been more focused on the U.S. expansion era And I often wonder if there isn't a fit there somewhere. When you look at the spring leagues that have been coming and failing, 
And now they've tried the USFL again. They tried the XFL again. That didn't go so well. So now they've merged and they're calling it the United Football League, which is another failed league from years before. And I have no doubt that this league is going to fail too. And I don't take pleasure in that, but I am glad that it firmly establishes the Canadian Football League as the only real true alternative to the National Football League. And I can't help but wonder if there's a path for the Canadian Football League to fill this need in the United States, this hunger for spring, summer football. I, I think you're a little younger than I am, Ryan. and Just, you probably, just a morsel, yeah. Okay, so you probably don't remember any of the uh, U.S. expansion teams, but I remember saying to Aramius once, goodness, I'm so glad that there's 12, 13 teams now. That must have been so boring when we were only stuck with eight or nine teams. And that's where we were back <laughs> two years later, and that's where we've been at for almost 30 years ever since. You know, and uh, there's always that talk that Atlantic, Atlantic Canada is going to get a team. We just don't know when, right? Which, is, mean, which is the right path, and I give, I give the commissioner credit full marks for pushing that. People love to uh, pick on the commissioner, and some of it's just, some of it's not. And I actually even think that getting to a 12th franchise, I, I think London, Ontario would be a great market. I don't think people realize you've got a million people like the size of Saskatchewan in that London and area, and you're, you're far enough from Detroit, you're far enough from Toronto, and you're far enough from Buffalo that you kind of have your own little bubble, kind of like we do in Saskatchewan. But, but instead of a million people being spread out 10 hours apart or seven hours apart, they're within an hour's drive. And that's why I'm a big believer in the idea of a franchise. You look at the London Knights. Uh, for, for years, you couldn't get London Knights tickets for a junior hockey team, a 9,000-seat arena. 9,000 for junior hockey. That's why I have no doubt in my mind, even though they don't get great crowds for their University of Western Mustangs, I think the CFL could really work there. In, in that little bubble in Southern Ontario there and um, Quebec City. There you go. Quebec City would be nice. Because uh, you're, you're touching regions that I don't know are watching a lot of Canadian football right now. So you're actually growing your TV audience that it would make sense to do so that you can cut the TV contract 12 ways instead of nine. What about in Western Canada, Victoria? I don't believe that would work. I no? love the fact that they're going to play the game uh, this season, I think they're playing Ottawa. That'll be a regular season game in Victoria. And it's cool. They should, the, the CFL needs to do that. Like they need to go into other places. I would love to see a regular season game played in Saskatoon, right? It's supposed to be the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, not the Regina Rough Riders. And I like the fact that they're playing, they're, they're doing the right things. I think if anything, they should do more of that. I don't think Victoria works for me because I, I, I see to your point on Vancouver Island, you've probably got I don't even know the numbers, but it's probably north of a half million people living out there. So you can kind of see the possibilities. But I, I just think that you've got a franchise like the Lions that are so rooted. I think it's okay that they're the only team in BC. I also think it's silly, the idea of having two teams in Saskatchewan. That would never, ever work. Not in a million years. But the reason why I think these are good ideas, other than the fact that the variety is just not there when you've only got nine teams, but it also helps create the new jobs for the Canadian players that you can actually sell them on the idea of cutting back instead of having seven Canadian starters you could say okay we're going to have five per team and it's still going to be more jobs than we had before and we're going to have more American players play on special teams and 
we're going to create crazy incentives for teams to actually finally develop Canadian star quarterbacks, like make his salary exempt from the salary cap. So if you get a stud CFL quarterback, you can throw him a big contract. And, you know, there's all there's always a solution to these things. And these are avenues by which the Canadian Football League could adjust and open the door to U.S. expansion and and use some of the brands that have been popular in the U.S. I'll give you a good example. The New Jersey Generals. That's a brand under the USFL, or it was. That's the team that Donald Trump owned. That's the team that Herschel Walker played for. What about the idea of playing in New York, maybe even in Manhattan? There are some crummy old college facilities. You just need a facility that will seat 20 or 30,000 people. And you go to the American networks who have been plowing lots of money into these other failed ventures. And if you can get a good TV contract, there's lots of rich people in New York who love to own things, who are on Wall Street. Why not bring the New York generals into the Canadian Football League? You can market Doug Flutie. You can market Herschel Walker. Orrin Moon, even, uh, to an extent, right? Well, he didn't play for for the New York generals, but... you know, he did make the CFL to NFL transition, and, you know, some older fans oh, may sure. remember him, yeah. right? But so. I'm just making the point that football is a type of sport that lives and breathes a lot on its history. Yes. Right? And so you actually have a history and an identity and a trademark, which I believe is owned by probably Fox, because they use these trademarks for the USFL. And if they can plow some money into the Canadian Football League, why not share our game with the world? Why not showcase Canadian talent in American cities? The, the, the one thing that I would do differently from the first expansion they did, and let's be honest, the first expansion failed largely because it was done out of desperation. It wasn't part of this great vision. Uh, Bruce McNall owned the Toronto Argonauts, and he was a fraudster, as we all know. And he made a lot of his, he kept afloat longer than he should have, largely because they got huge expansion fees from the NHL, like when they added the Florida Panthers, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, etc. So he, he kept peddling this, and so did John Candy, and God rest his soul, we love John Candy. I don't know that his business acumen was really there, and he should have been uh, steering all of this, but you would need to stay away from places like Shreveport. I might even stay away from Birmingham away from secondary markets, because you need to create the perception. I'm not even going to say create, because I think it's already there. You need to bolster the perception that you are not inferior to the National Football League. You are different from the National Football League. We all know that you're not going to compete with them economically, but at least if you're offering a viable alternative, something that's very different, think of ways to be different from the NFL, You have something, and we've seen it. The New York Cosmos are not part of, um, I was going to say the Premiership. They're part of, I was going to say not part of Major League Soccer. They are part of MLS, but they're not part of the Premiership. And yet, you can sell that in New York. They have a following in New York. And I just, I I think sometimes uh, we don't, it's almost like we're afraid to think big with our Canadian Football League. And I, I choose to believe it could be so much bigger than it is. And not not through the partnership with the XFL. That was a bad idea. I never thought that was a good idea. I was never in favor of that, and I'm glad that the league walked away from it. But I can also see, understand why there are um, some owners in the league who actually were really receptive to the idea because of the simple fact 
that it's something different. I know uh, Larry Tannenbaum, the guy in charge of the Argonauts, and he has pretty big influence over the Raptors, the Maple Leafs, everything through MLSC. And there were rumors that he was really for it. Like, he really wanted this to happen. And he made the argument that it drives franchise value. And they're not worried about profit loss so much. People don't understand there are a lot of NHL teams that lose money every year, but they can justify it based off of the the asset valuation going up, 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 and up. And once you start playing in those American markets, that's when you can get those franchise valuations going up, up, and up. I'm not saying that it's the right solution or that it's going to work for the CFL or that it'll ever happen. I just sometimes... It's something different. It's something different. And, yeah. and, and I sometimes worry that it's kind of like David Braley when he was in the league. He was a really wealthy guy who was willing to backstop the league through a really rough patch, through a lot of lean years. And that was wonderful. He was also very anti-U.S. expansion, like he walked away when they tried it and then later came back. He was also very negative to people who had new ideas at times. And I thought, um, what's his name? Um, The guy in Toronto who writes the column that gets everybody angry all the time. Um, Steve Simmons? Yes, thank you. I love how that's all I had to say and you knew exactly what I was thinking (laughs) of. And I thought his thing on, um, you know, the hornet's nest he stirred up with Akeem Aliou and with... um, uh, Simmons, like that was just dumb. That was wrong. But he was right, I thought, in his assessment of David Braley. He said it felt like he was somebody who was always propping up the league and choking it at the same time. And I felt the same way. And, you know, God rest his soul. It's it's too bad that he's gone. But I feel like the league is on a better path with the new ownership. And I just hope they don't slam the door in the face of this commissioner or a future commissioner who wants to go down that road again. If we ever go down that road again, is that going to be a simple road? No. Are there problems like the ratio, like revenue sharing, expansion fees, proper facilities that actually have a proper sized field? There's an endless list of challenges and it would be a really um, hard effort reconciling all that. But guess what? Anything that is worthwhile in this life is not easy. And, and, and if we want our great Canadian Football League to um, create kind of what the NFL has in a sense where you have a day, whether it's a Sunday or a Saturday, and you've got a big smorgasbord of games happening at once, because that's what drives the NFL. It's the fact that everybody in America is tuned in because you have so much variety. And if the CFL wants some of that and sees an avenue to do some of that, I cannot imagine for the life of me why they wouldn't pursue it. We have a text uh, on the line here, Brendan, that uh, agrees with you. Uh, Corey from Radville uh, says that he's never heard of that the uh, twelve-team CFL idea, but uh, he said that he loves it and it would work. So uh, you know, you, you got a follower here, uh, Brendan, on this idea. Uh, we also have another texter. I am not catching the name here, but uh, you know, talking about the last time the U.S. expanded into the uh, NFL that uh, they did not use Canadian players on the roster. I think there was like antitrust laws yeah, you, involved and, in that. Yeah, and you would never be able to get around that. That would no. always be, be an issue. And that's and, and that's a valid point. That's probably the biggest issue. Sorry, was that all he said in the text? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, and, and that's a huge issue. But my point is, if we have more franchises in Canada, you might be able to sell it to the Players Association that each Canadian roster will have a few less Canadians. 
And at the same time, we'll put in incentives like no salary against the salary cap for Canadian quarterbacks. So we develop more star Canadian players. That's how you mitigate the issue. And just one more point on that. You would need to have um, a uh, you need to slant it so that Canadian teams can spend more on Americans and American teams. That's another big issue. These American players would rather stay in the States if they can. But again, whole slew, slew of issues. That doesn't mean that they can't be resolved and that it can happen and be done properly. Okay. That's all I've got on that. <laughs> uh, Brendan McGuire rant of the day brought to you by. <laughs> still ahead. Luke Mullinder in hour three. You're listening to the Sports Cage presented by the Conexus Art Center on the voice of Saskatchewan 620 CKRM. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. This is the Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage. Brendan McGuire and Ryan McNally with you on this edition of the program. Still ahead in hour three, we will touch base with Dan Rasevich on this week's Where Are They Now? Brought to you by Flora Coverings International. Uh, today's show is brought to you by the Conexus Art Center. High Valley with Tim and the Glory Boys. February 20th at the Conexus Art Center. Tickets available at ConexusArtCenter.ca. Uh, on tomorrow, edition of the program it will be barney shinkruck hosting and he'll be joined by sharky and craig adam they'll talk cfl free agency former pats general manager bob strum the strummer will join them and be reporter for the utah jazz sam farnsworth on the jazz owner application for an nhl team that's kind of interesting salt lake for an nhl city and jason ripplinger from the moose jaw warriors of course been a very busy uh, calendar 2024 since the trade deadline for the Warriors as they make their push right to the end. But right now, we go out on the Western Pizza Hotline and we are joined by Luke Mullinder, who has been the color analyst on this program or on this radio station, I should say, on Rough Rider Radio since 2017. Was that your first year, Luke, 2017? It, it was either that or 2016. First year in the new stadium, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, you know what? Yeah, that's right. It is. It was the first year in the new stadium, so whatever that is. How could you ever doubt me, Luke? Come on, you know I've got an encyclopedic mind, even on your own career and what you're doing with your broadcast endeavors. Yeah, totally. I don't know what the oh, why why I would even doubt that. My bad. <laughs> Everybody seems to think that the Rough Riders are the big winner in free agency again, like we thought this time a year ago. And uh, Farhan Lalji uh, says it. We're hearing it from people outside of Saskatchewan. Do you feel like this is a big upgrade going from Jamal Morrow to A.J. Olette as the main running back? It's so hard. You know, again, you don't want to win champion, champion, champion uh, sorry, paper championships, right? Like, you know, like the offseason is great. I, I do think AJ that's a huge upgrade. Um, here's, here's one of the things I don't think that people are. It's sort of like I talked about Jameer Thurman. Jameer Thurman was going to come in here, and he's a guy that knows exactly what Coach Mace wants to run and why he's running it and what type of plays that, you know, that are going to go into the scheme. AJ Olette. When you look at a guy like Mark Mueller, who's coming in here as a first-time offensive coordinator, this is a guy that has spent the last 10 years coaching in an organization that understands that you win up front with offensive linemen, but he also has coached backs that emulate the skill set that A.J. Ouellette has. So John Cornish, Jerome Messam, 
Kadeem carries a tough runner. So when you look at Mark Mueller and the guys that you want to put around him, give him guys that are going to make it easy schematically. Give him guys that he's used to, you know, he's used to in terms of skill sets and abilities. So, so AJ Ouellette on his own is a great player, and I'm excited about him because he's, I still feel like he's got a few years left of great football in him. But A.J. Ouellette, paired with Mark Mueller, I think also gives Mueller a, a much easier time assimilating here into Ryder Nation as their offensive coordinator. The quarterback sacks have been a massive issue here the last couple of years. It wasn't as bad last year as it was the year before. But with a quick-release quarterback by like Trevor Harris and the fact that you do have a thumper like A.J. Ouellette who can help with the blocking, I mean, I'm not saying... I don't even know enough about the sport to know if Jamal Morrow was a was a good blocker or not. You've actually played the sport, so unlike most of us watching and trying to analyze it, you actually know what you're talking about. Uh, are we at a point now where, with the extra blocking help that A.J. Olette should be able to offer and Trevor Harris getting the ball out probably faster than any other quarterback in the league, that this sack issue should be a thing of the past, finally, once and for all? Yeah, Trevor Harris does get the ball out quickly. I, I think that bringing a guy like Jamarcus Hardrick um, in here. Listen, I just said you don't want to win championships on paper, but when you look at the potential lineup, you got Hardrick, Furland, Peter Godber, and Philip Blake. I'm not sure who's going to end up at the left tackle position, but I, I mean, that's a significant upgrade from the offensive line two years ago. Uh, I, I think that um, Jamal Morrow was, was really good um, in terms of blocking, but you got to remember, uh, they may have lost Albert Awachi, who, by the way, Albert Awachi, while he was in Ryder Green, was fantastic for them. He was an absolute star in his role. He reminds me a lot of Marcus Adams, the guy I played with uh, back in the day, where he just he did everything that you, the team wanted him to do. It didn't show up on the stat sheet necessarily, but I, I think that he was a really good player. But you've got a guy like Bruno LaBelle in there, right? You need other guys around there. You'll have some, some extra blockers in the offensive depth. Right, Logan Bandy's had a ton, had a ton of reps. Um, Zach Fry continues to probably be developed. Right, you're going to bring back guys that were here last year that were American. So you're going to be able to to play with the blocking surfaces that you get. But again, I, I think that AJ Ouellette, this is a guy that you know he's not necessarily known for the past, but he's going to be able to stick his nose in there. So they they're definitely not losing anything um, uh, when it, when you compare Ouellette coming in and Morrow leaving. Our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline is Luke Mullinder, writer analyst on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like souvlaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. You know, when I come to the park, as you know, I bring my little transistor radio because that is literally the only way to get a live play-by-play feed. That there's no other way to get a live play-by-play feed. You're going to have, you can go online, you can do the TSN, but there's a big delay and it screws everything up. So I've listened yeah. to you guys on the broadcast over the years, and uh, I've heard you comment uh, that in the previous regime at times, in the front four on the defensive side, they just weren't looking quite stout enough. And that was always yeah. a concern. Are you concerned at all about the loss of... Um, Pete Robertson. I mean, he was a pretty important part of that pass rush, and that's been a concern in the last couple of years when this team has faded so badly uh, over the last seven games of the year. 
Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I I don't think that this team loses a ton in Pete Robertson. Now, now having said that, he's a guy that I was hoping they'd bring back because he's an athletic guy. I thought that maybe, you know, there there was a chance that he might do some good things in in some of the things I've seen Coach Mace roll out defensively, especially up front with the stunts and twists. But I'll tell you what, I mean, getting a guy um, like – Carney, Malik Carney here to, here through free agency. This is a guy, you know, it, it always happens. The light bulb comes on in year three. I mean, he's, he's, he's stepped up his game while he was with Hamilton. And we're getting a guy here uh, is, that's going to be in his CFL prime. Um, I think that he's an athletic guy. I think they're going to be able to use him in a lot of ways. And don't forget, I, I think there's guys that last year showed a lot when they were given the opportunity. A guy that, I, I, you know, that I'm going to have my eyes on specifically when we get to training camp is Christian Albright. Uh, when he was playing last year towards the end of the year, I thought he was doing really well. I think that they're going to be a lot more stout. Remember, Miles Brown missed most of the season last year, and, and he's coming back. But the big thing here is obviously bringing back Micah. If he stays healthy, he's a force. He had a fantastic year last year. But again, we talked about the last time I was on the show, Anthony Lanier. If he's moving back down into that defensive tackle spot, that changes the game for Micah and the rest of these guys. So, again, yes, whenever you lose a guy like Pete Robertson, great character, he's a funny guy, he's, he's great to be around, brings a lot of energy, That's always you're always going to lose something. But, again, when you look at Carney coming in here, when you look at the combinations they're going to be play, able to play with, with Lanier, a healthy Brown, a healthy Micah Johnson, and some of the younger guys they got, like Albright, don't forget, they, got, they drafted Corte Moore very early on last year. He's going he's gonna to be asked to take another step up. Um, a guy like Brian Cox Jr. there, Nick Daly, when he's been getting opportunities on specials and, and in the defense, he's always done some good things. So I, I think that this defensive line, I, I think that they've got the ability to surprise some people. And again, you don't want to just sort of preface everything by saying that they've, that they've got to stay healthy. But I mean, that's the environment we're in in the Canadian Football League. But it's also the environment that every team has to deal with these days. Teams have to stay healthy. And if this defensive front stays healthy with the guys that they got coming back, plus the guys that they've had in the room and the guys they've added, I think they've got a chance to be good. Luke, I asked Farhan Lalji this uh, earlier this uh, show. Uh, I may have asked you this on Thursday too, but uh, now that these guys are officially on paper, where are the holes uh, for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders still? Ooh, where are the holes for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? That's a really good question. I, listen, I, I think that I think they've got to identify a left tackle, right? I, I think that consistently over the last few years, um, when with the other coaching staff, uh, the left tackles, the tackles in general were were a question mark, but they've never really identified that guy at left tackle. And if you look at the success of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, if you look at the success of of teams in the past that have won championships, they've always had a left tackle, right? I I remember going up against Montreal when they won back-to-back great cups, and, and their tackles were always awesome, but they had guys like Josh Bork, right? I think the left tackle is something that you definitely want to see um, as, as solidified coming out of training camp. I think there's going to be 
a little bit of a question on who steps in to the wide receiver spot in terms of a deep threat, in terms of a guy that can stretch a defense. But again, who knows, right? Mark Mueller might come in here and Mark Mueller might say, hey, look, you know what? We're going to work with what we got and, 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 and we're, gonna, we're not going to be a team that, that looks to hit the big play, right? It all depends on, on how you look at the guys that you have in the building. But I think that, yeah, you'd, you'd want to identify another wide receiver in that group. I know that they've got some good guys coming back. Again, Sean Bain Jr. bringing him back is huge but I think that those would be probably um, the two spots offensively and you know what defensively I think that you're always looking for for Canadians um, to be able to play this game and and give you a ton of reps and again I'm not sure that that it's it's a gap but I'd love to see Forte Moore take another step I'm really excited about Eau Claire that they brought in from Ottawa Right and and again you want to see um, continued development from guys like Jackson Ford, Jaden Dalkey, Lacombo. So I think that there's real opportunities there. We we talked a bit about the defensive line and I'd love to talk about that and that was your position when you played uh, throughout your career that uh, nine year career that you had in the Canadian Football League. Miles Brown, you mentioned him earlier. He's a load. He's a big dude. He checks in. Uh, I think he's listed at six foot two, three hundred and twenty pounds. He's only twenty six. And I've always felt like we have not yet scratched the surface on the potential that this young man has. Do you oh, feel the same way? Man, this, this, you, yeah, you, I, there's nothing wrong with what you said. I completely agree. Before Miles Brown got hurt, he was, he was having a fantastic year. I really did think so. And I'm really excited about them bringing him back and him being healthy. You're right. He plays stout. He's not the tallest guy. But he uses his hands well. He's got some really good tools. And listen, he was turning into more of a pass rusher. Again, the, the problem with Miles Brown was he just got injured and it, it, it stopped all of his momentum. So I'm hoping that he can recapture some of that because he is a guy. You're exactly right. He's only 26. The light bulb's just coming on for him as well. Right? Like, this guy came in, he was figuring out the Canadian Football League. The Americans got to figure out that one yard off the ball rule. They got to figure out how the ratio works to know, you know, where their value is as pass rushers or run defenders, things like that, right? Like, he, 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 he's got all that now, right? Now it's, it's a matter of him just coming back and recapturing the momentum. And I think he can because I'm a huge fan of his. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a huge fan of Miles Brown, and I can't wait till this training camp comes. And, of course, we're going to save this episode. It'll stay in the Podcatcher app so that when Miles leads the league in sacks this year, you and I will both look like geniuses for having this discussion before the year starts. Um, Hey, listen, before we let you go, just a quick thought. Uh, Your old teammate, Kerry Joseph, now the quarterback coach of the Chicago Bears, we had him on this program last week. Uh, Your thoughts on KJ climbing the coaching ladder in the National Football League? Well, it's great to see. And, and, you know, Kerry Joseph is a guy, first of all, there's still a bunch of guys, including me, that would run through a brick wall for the guy. I mean, he, he's as good as leaders came um, in the Canadian Football League when I was there. But, but Kerry Joseph actually is, is a great example of where the Canadian Football League needs to get to. Kerry Joseph is developing as a young coach in the NFL. He's going to get his opportunities there. I'd love to see this league become a destination for a guy like Kerry Joseph as well. Right, not just waiting for a, for an offensive coordinator position or a head coaching position to pop up, but but if we can continue to keep guys interested like Kerry Joseph, that's gonna that's gonna work out for everybody, right? I always look at guys that come back like Milanovic, and I've looked at guys. 
I, and I look at guys that, that, that have never sniffed the CFL since, like Coach Danny Barrett in, in the, in, of, of the Houston Texans, right? We, we need to keep good coaches around. And when you see guys like Burris, like Kerry Joseph, guys that are going down into the NCAA and the NFL, you hope that can, the CFL continues to develop avenues um, behind uh, coming back to the Canadian Football League when you do, because coaching matters in this league. And um, we need to continue to create pipelines of great coaching. Um, the, the product, right, is, is, is really at risk of falling off um, if, if you don't have guys. Because, again, the talent, the, the football players, the guys in between the white line, that supply is always going to outweigh demand. What's not going to uh, outweigh demand in terms of supply is the coaching and quality coaches that we can bring in. Right, so I'm hoping that we find a way to continue to build our pipeline to the young coaches like Kerry Joseph. But honestly, man, it's awesome to see. And heck, he's got Justin Fields down there. If they don't screw things up and, and trade him for uh, to draft Caleb uh, uh, Evans, but man, I'm telling you, like Justin Fields, that was Kerry Joseph's skill set when he was in the Canadian Football League. So it, it's just really good to see good people like Kerry succeeding and building, man. Because 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 you, you're pulling for those guys. You're pulling for guys like. You're pulling for all the young guys that are down there in the NCAA that you played with and you shared locker room spaces with, man. So it's great to see, but I would hope that the CFL also continues to open up avenues to where this is a viable league for them to come back to and not just a fallback plan. Very well said, my good man. And uh, like KJ said when he was on these airwaves last week, he said, remember, I represent the CFL everywhere I go. So you're right. I think a lot of us are are rooting for him. Great job as always. Take the rest of the Wednesday off and we'll talk again soon. Have a good show, man. See you guys later. Thanks, Luke. That is Cool Hand Luke Mullender joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. He feels pretty good about the riders and their free agent pickups, just like Farhan Lalji. Uh, I better take a quick time out. You're listening to the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan 620 CKRM. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Jamie Nugabauer, the voice of the Notre Dame Hounds, still ahead on this edition of the Sports Cage. Brought to you by the Conexus Arts Center. And just wanted to touch on something Luke mentioned right before the break. He's worried about the coaching supply and having good quality coaches come up here. And I think he's alluding to the operations cap. I don't quite feel the same way Luke does, to, to be honest. And he has valid concerns, but for a while... There were a lot of NFL, ex-NFL head coaches who were coming to the CFL. Mike Sherman, he coached Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers. He didn't make the Alouettes any better. The Alouettes hired uh, Dan Hawkins. He was a successful college coach. He didn't make the Alouettes any better. Mark Trussman came along. He did make the Alouettes better, but they also had a Hall of Fame quarterback. So, you know, I would rather see us develop more um, nobodies for lack of a better term, and Canadian nobodies. So I support the football operations cap. I want to see more money go to the players. I just think it's a bit of a tough situation because you have guys doing multiple different jobs and not, you know, getting the payment for doing those jobs, right? Like, because there are position coaches that, you know, will have to end up, like, say, a linebackers coach also works with DBs, and, you know, maybe linebackers coaches might work with D-lines, right? Like, just because, you know, those guys do need that extra coaching at this level, right? And so I think that's kind of where the problem is, is, you know, once you reach that coach's cap, say you have a really high-paid head coach, 
you know, that, that has to come from somewhere, right? And so maybe there's no DBs coach or no D-line coach, and that, you know, kind of has to pull from another area. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and, and listen, y- you are in the majority, and I am in the minority on this. What I say to that is, nah. <laughs> you know, what, what, the, this game was at its greatest when you had the golden age of quarterbacks like Austin, Flutie, Ham, and... Coaches were paid much less back then. I never felt like the entertainment factor got any better when the league started spending all this money on coaches. I don't feel like the rider organization or their fan base feel very good about what they paid for when Chris Jones was here making all the money he was making. So, but I, I, I get it. I totally get it. And, and we want we want them to be paid well enough that NFL coaches like a Henry Burris and a Kerry Joseph actually plan to come back and be head coaches in our league because that would add so much to our league and to our country as they did uh, as players. And I also agree with what uh, Luke said about Justin Fields. I feel like he's a diamond surrounded by trash and I'd be so very disappointed uh, for him and for Kerry if the Bears get rid of him and try to look to somebody else because he's going to be a star somewhere just might not be in Chicago. Well, I better take a break. When we come back, we will talk to Jamie Neukebauer about the SJHL news and notes. You're listening to the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. The Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Brendan McGuire and Ryan McNally on this Friday edition of the Sports Cage for the Connexus Arts Center. Still ahead here in Hour 3, the Four Coverings International Where Are They Now segment. We will visit with Dan Rasevich live on the program. You know we had a new coffee maker today? Everybody's all excited about that. Everyone's very excited about coffee. I don't drink coffee, so I'll, I'll take your word for it. I had the second cup. <laughs> I don't know who what they were more excited about having the guest in studio that we had in hour one or uh, the new machine but that's just how we are we get excited about our espresso machines or coffee machines it's like you go to a lot of these places you just want a cup of coffee like if you go to Starbucks or you go to some of these other places what's your order just give yeah. me a cup of coffee okay so do you want this order or do you want this order I don't care I just want a cup of coffee you can't just get a cup of coffee anymore no you really can't Except maybe at these SJHL arenas. Yeah, probably. And now we will go out on the Western Pizza Hotline. We are joined by Jamie Nugabauer. Are you a coffee drinker, Nugsy? I am. I am. And I think uh, my partner there on a couple Pats games there, Ryan, will remember. I uh, love a love a good cup. The 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 Brant Center. The guy treats you so well in the media room. He come up to you, comes up to you, and says, "Hey, can I get you anything, sir? What a nice guy!" And bring oh, what a coffee. what a gentleman that guy is. Yeah. Just oh, wow. he is that so underrated. Amazing. Yeah. He, what's his name? You guys uh, know his name? Zero idea. You guys have I so much it. love and respect for him, you can't even remember his name. Uh, he's never introduced himself, though, Brendan. Like, he's just uh, that nice. He's so humble. I, I, I love the security person who has always let me in. I haven't had a press pass in 20 years, and I've never had trouble getting in because I know exactly where the security person is because we have a thing. They know that I come in here and there, and I'm not going to go through the headache and all the other stuff of getting properly credentialed. Um so Elliot Friedman weighed in on the BCHL story um, when the 
one of the teams, I think it was Cowichan Valley, maybe stole the Humboldt Broncos goalie. What the heck is going on, Jamie? This late in the season, right before the playoffs, where all these players are leaving to another province. Yeah, well, there's two pieces, two parts of that, right? On the one hand, the FBCHL, they uh, are not part of the Hockey Canada. They're not part of the CJHL, so they're free to make their own rules about rosters and when trade deadlines are and roster freezes are and whatnot. So theirs was February the 10th, and, you know, up until then, uh, there was nothing stopping any kid uh, in, in the SJHL or any CJHL Junior A League to go there and just sign and don't have to tell anybody and that team doesn't get, have to get any player or any money from those teams in the BCHL or the five teams in Alberta that also jump ship. Uh, so, you know, it was just kind of a deadline, right? So the 10th of February was the deadline and four SJHL kids uh, decided to take offers. The two brothers, the Buckberger brothers, uh, Ronan, of course, the 06 defenseman committed to Ohio State. Um, out of the Nippon Hawks, he and his big brother Braxton uh, were big players there for the Nippon Hawks. They uh, took off to Alberni Valley uh, in the BCHL. And, uh, you know, Fisher there in uh, Humboldt, he's a, a BC kid. So, again, do you blame a BC kid that much for going home? Uh, you know, the time of the year is tough. Obviously, Ben Wright as well in Estevan, uh, former Edmonton Oil King, uh, also a BC boy. So, again, He's going home. So it's kind of harder for me to stomach two Saskatchewan kids jumping ship and two kids that were so critical to their team at this point in the season. And that's the other side, right, is you're kind of leaving your teammates high and dry right now and playoff push and nip wins in the thick of the playoff push. It's been a tough sled for the Hawks in 2024 calendar season. So to see the Buckberger boys go, I think was tough for sure. I know the humble Broncos, they are happy with their number one goalie and Ben Motu. They found another one. Uh, I wouldn't say the scrap heap. That's too harsh of a term, but they found a kid that was actually in the BCHL on trail around trail, but wasn't registered. Uh, so he was able to come to the SJ because he wasn't on any kind of card of any kind uh, out in trail. And then um, you know they, they found the goalie there. And then uh, you know for the Estevan Bruins, you know they've they've made ads, and Ben Wright was kind of a bottom six forward anyway. So. Um, and I'm not saying he's a bad player, but uh, they, you know, they were able to kind of replace him. But there's no replacing what Nippowin lost. Um, that's tough. And there were lots of kids. I should add that's the last point here is lots of kids in the SJHL were offered spots in the BCHL, and um, you know, way more than the four declined to go. You know, didn't want to give up on their teammates and their teams, um, no matter how good the opportunity is. And I would think the opportunity out there in the BCHL is very good, but. Uh, you know, it is it is what it is. You look at it different angles, and um, you know that that's how it is. <laughs> yeah, I did want to get your uh, thoughts on that, uh, Jamie. You know, with BCHL breaking off from Hockey Canada, the five Alberta teams, of course, doing that as well. We also had uh, someone text in uh, to the show here uh, who can't figure out why they would not want to play for a Canadian national title at the end of the year. Um, how much of that really plays into that a decision like that? Or is it more just, you know, player development and leave the Canadian national title to what it, what it is? Yeah, I mean, everybody's different. Every player, every team's in a different spot. Um, 
you know, you can uh, you can read into the, the again the, the Buckberger's decision, for example, into what you want. Obviously, Ronan, the 06, who was at the World Junior A Challenge, by the way, uh, he's already got his Ohio State commit, but his big brother Braxton, who's a 20 year old, uh, who's had a great year in the SJ, uh, doesn't have a commitment, so he's probably seeing that as you know where we can go together. They'll take Ronan, they'll take me. I'll get seen, and I'll try to get my commitment. So it's kind of. Uh, um, you know, national championship is the nip- are the Nippling Hawks going to win the national championship? You know, never say never, I guess, but it's not looking super likely. Interestingly enough, though, I should add, I was speaking to uh, the father of a player on the Brooks Bandits in the Alberta League, or the now the BCHL, and I think he was saying he was disappointed to not be able to play. So um, I don't know if kids that left the SJ or other leagues in the CJHL are thinking, oh, too bad, I can't can't win the Centennial Cup. But I know there are kids on the Brooks Bandits and maybe the Sherwood Park Crusaders and some of those teams that were thinking, oh, it would be nice to win a national championship. Uh, and now that obviously is off the table, they'll win whatever they're going to call it, the champion between the BCHL champion and those five AJ or five Alberta teams. They have that kind of format coming uh, after their, their season's done and, and whatever they call that, they can call that. But uh, yeah, to, to your point, I, I don't think it really enters into it, uh, for, especially for the four that left the SJ. How much of this is just a big up yours to Hockey Canada with, with all that's <laughs> happened in the last couple of years? Is it an up yours? That's an interesting question. I mean, I don't think so. I think people are just doing what they feel like they need to do for themselves. I mean, I think uh, the the reason that those five teams left when they did, I don't think that was their plan. I think it was leaked and the information came out and it got out of control and the Alberta League was canceling games and saying, you know, you're, you know, you're going to play each other and then we'll have the teams that are sticking around play each other. And there was no sort of direction and they're trying to figure out what to do. And so they said, you know what, fine, we'll just cut ties and we'll work with the BCHL now. And there have been trades between BCHL teams and AJ or those five teams, whatever you want to call them, the big five, we'll say, if you want to call them that in Alberta. Uh, that that happened before their trade deadline. Um, I don't think it was. I don't think it was kind of an up yours. I just think that it, the 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 narrative got out of control. Um, the situation got out of control. There was some some bitterness for sure <laughs> between uh, you know the five teams and the eleven teams and the BCHL um, and, and whatnot. But uh, you know, I don't think anybody's sort of spiteful. I just think everybody's out for their own interests. That's all it is. I feel like with politics, with sports, with a lot of things. There's just chaos everywhere with BC, and I feel like in Saskatchewan, we're all about stability, and it's always felt that way. When I covered the SJ, I remember the commissioner of the BC League wanted to come be the commissioner of the SJ, and people would say, why would you want to do that? And he said, it's crazy fighting with the owners who all have different agendas in BC. In Saskatchewan, you're the voice of reason with all these community-owned teams, and I feel like we're seeing some of that right now, but... I digress. Hey, listen, we're up against the break here. Next time you come on, we're not going to talk at all about these renegade teams or players. We're going to talk about the Flint Flon Bombers and the SJHL playoff races. Sounds great. Anytime you want me, I'm ready for you. Okay, that is Jamie Neugebauer joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline to discuss the news and notes happening around the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. Tomorrow's edition of the Sports Cage uh, it will be Barney Shinkruck, and he will be joined by Sharky and Craig Adam. So it'll be like the old sports line days. 
And that was some of the best viewing that I had as a sports fan, the old STV days. And I often wonder if you're going to see that type of programming make a comeback. But uh, I know that's where a lot of the magic happens or did happen on uh, sports television, at least from a local perspective. So that will be something everybody can enjoy tomorrow here on the almighty 620 CKRM. And speaking of someone who would have appeared in interviews and highlights on the old sports line days, Dan Rasevich will join us next on the Where Are They Now segment for Floor Coverings International. You're listening to the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan 620 CKRM. They're the names we speak with reverence or scream out loud. The names that help define us, inspire us, and build the game that we all love. Each Wednesday on the Sports Cage, we flash to the past with a legend to see if there is indeed life beyond the scoreboard. This is Where Are They Now? Out of the Sports Cage Where Are They Now segment is brought to you by Floor Coverings International. For new floors, choose one of the highest rated companies in the country, Floor Coverings International. The stars of flooring, visit fcfloors.com today. And uh, my wife and I actually just placed our order for some new flooring from Floor Coverings International. Very pleased to be joined on the line by my good friend Dan Rasevich. Dan, what do you think about the Riders' free agent signings? I think things are looking really good. It's uh, you know what they're putting some they're putting some good pieces together. That's for sure. You know I think it's going to create you know hey create some excitement here for sure. When you hear some of the analytics nerds like my good friend J.C. Abbott at Three Down Nation talk about the diminishing importance of a good smash and dash running back in today's game. Do you agree with that, or do you think it's just as important as it's ever been, even back to when you played? Uh, no, I no, I think you still need a running back. Oh, for sure. I mean, I don't know. I think I look at hey, I look at. The, I mean, I know I look at the Super Bowl there, and I think McCaffrey should have got some more touches in that third quarter instead of just throwing the ball because mm. it was working for them. But no, I think uh, no, you still need a good you need a good running back for sure. Exactly. That's that's the only way to keep a defense honest, I think, and also the keeps the hogs happy they love to run after those linebackers uh, rather than having exactly. someone come at them and pin their ears back <laughs> but hey this isn't about That's the free right. agents this is about you dan uh in your 13 oh, years okay. playing in the canadian uh i shouldn't say 13 years sorry was your rookie year 83 or 84 84 84 okay so you did 16 years in the canadian football league and you did 13 of them right here in saskatchewan of all of the teammates that you had is there one who stands out who was a big influence on you either early in your career or maybe even a little bit later on when you had a more veteran role? You know, I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to say Dave Albright. You know, um, me and him were roommates. Uh, you know, he's one of the first guys I kind of bonded with when I first got here. And uh, I was definitely... It was my roommate in training camps and even my roommate uh, during the season there as well. So, yeah, we kind of, we talked about a lot of different things, you know, and late nights after practice and, you know, some of our goals, you know, setting goals, you know, about winning the Grey Cup and, you know, kind of how to play the game and how we should be showing up to play the game as a team, you know. So I think Dave, I'll say Dave is one of, definitely one of the big, big influence for sure. Did you play more games as a linebacker in the Canadian Football League than anyone, or are you number two behind O'Shea on that list? 
I think I'm number two behind O'Shea. Number two, yeah. That's a pretty sweet haul, and it's worked out pretty well for him since he played. Um, I know when you came on and did uh, In the Huddle with Marshall Hamilton and I on Access, um, you talked about your time at Los Angeles Raiders training camp. Did you get to share a locker room with the Marcus Allen, Bo Jackson, any other big stars? No. um, I was in Lester Haynes' locker. Um what the, the, I was there in many camp, too many camp, I think too many camps there. And I, what it was was first, second, third year players, draft picks, and free agents. Um, so I remember seeing Howie Long on the sidelines, and you know some of the few other guys. And I, but I remember, totally remember Tom Flores, you know, speaking with us, and you know, in meetings, and it, that was pretty neat. Uh, whenever something was really important, he made sure he said it three times. So. We knew it was important. Tom Flores, two-time Super Bowl winning head coach with the uh, Oakland slash Los Angeles Raiders, actually started his career as a uh, quarterback with the Calgary Stampeders. Oh, really? I did not know that. See, my head is full of all kinds of useless trivia knowledge. And (laughs) and, uh, I I, I wanted to fill... Yeah, well, I I was just going to say... um, Well, one story you've told that I don't think we've told on the radio, but it's a very legendary moment in the history of the Toronto Blue Jays, their very first home game. The team was brought to Canada by a beer company, Labatt's, and they couldn't sell beer at the first game, even though there was snow and fans were chanting, we want beer. And a young Dan Rasevich was in the crowd at Exhibition Stadium in April 1977. What do you remember about that day? I remember skipping school <laughs> to go to the game with a bunch of high school buddies. And I remember it was snowing, and I remember we were in the bleachers of Exhibition Stadium and remember the, uh, the, the hot dog guy running up the stairs and all his hot dogs were falling out the back end down the stairs. And, yeah, a lot of people were grabbing hot dogs. <laughs> I, I, I do remember, I remember that. That was kind of cool. I feel I feel like that has added to the legend and the mystique of the Toronto Blue Jays. Just the fact that their first ever home game was such a train wreck that made it awesome. Oh, it did. It was awesome. And then many years later, when I was playing with the Argos, I actually caught a pitch from Hanky, the reliever, <laughs> the Terminator, Tom Hanky, the closer. Yeah, I caught some pitches from him because uh, he used to share the field. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, because you would have shared the old exhibition stadium. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It was fun. And that was the was heyday of, of the Toronto Argonauts in the Canadian Football League, the early '80s, when they expanded the old CNE and they would fit fifty thousand people in there. And I know uh, you you played in Toronto when the CFL was a really big deal in Toronto. You told me that you had some pretty big yep. crowds early on. Oh yeah. Oh no. It was hey, 80, 86, 87, You know, and I think the Argos just won a. I think they won a. Gray Cup in 83 in yep. DC Place. I actually went to that game. I actually went to that game. Um, man, I'm trying to remember. I think they were playing the BC Lions, actually. Yep. Yep. Yeah, first ever Grey Cup at BC Place. And a lot of people say that was the zenith of the Canadian Football League from a business perspective because the place was packed. and It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, they had Crazy George, right? They had Crazy George. Oh, that's right. Was crazy. Right, That's right. pounding the drum and everything else. Um, last question for you before we let you go. Do you miss the game? Yeah. Do you miss being at the park every day? You know, there's parts of me, I miss it for sure. Then there's the part of me that goes, man, I did it for 16 years, and I feel, you know what, 
I really feel like I left it all on the field, you know. And sometimes I look back and I go, I wonder if I, how much better I maybe could have been. And I guess the only part I, I could, might say is I could have maybe been a, been a little better of a student of the game. I mean, hey, I watched film. I studied. I knew down tendencies, like, you know. But you know what? Yeah, you always, you always wonder. But anyways, at the end of the day, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good. Well, I'm feeling pretty sore. <laughs> you paid for it. You're still paying for it. And you feel like it's a job well done. But I loved it. You know what, man? I do it again. I do it again. I hear that from so many football players who laid it all on the line like you did. And I hear the same thing is that yeah. there, there are no regrets in a lot of cases. Hey, think of- and couldn't have come to a better place to play football. I'll tell you that. And I, I heard, uh, you know, AJ Willett talking about that. And you know what? He's going to find out firsthand for himself with all these other guys that come here and hopefully they can build a great culture. And, you know what? Put a put a put a great team on the field. I hope so. And uh, I know you live in Regina. I see you at the games all the time. And uh, tell us about your charitable endeavor. Uh, Believe in the gold for oh. some of our listeners who maybe don't know a whole well, lot yeah. about that. Sure. Well, uh, uh, last year was the seventh year. Um, done a fundraiser for uh, children's cancer. It's called Believe in the Gold. Uh, usually do it every September, and uh, the color gold is the color color of children's cancer, and so it's definitely been something where I put a lot of put my heart and a lot of effort in for to raise money for research and monies to stay in Saskatchewan for Saskatchewan families, and you know what I've, I've really enjoyed doing that. Uh, it's, it's nice to give back and you know to all the families and for the things that they go through. So you know, and I love hey then. You know what? Moved back here 12 years ago from Calgary, and I have no regrets. I love Saskatchewan because it's uh, done a lot for me and my family. Just want to emphasize that. Well, I think Saskatchewan, I I speak for a lot of our listeners that um, I think uh, Saskatchewan benefits from that relationship more than you do. So uh, we're happy to have you. We're lucky to have you. And uh, we're we're glad that you could uh, be on this segment of Where Are They Now? And uh, hopefully we'll have many more appearances with you on the Sports Cage as well. Thanks for doing this, Dan. You bet, Brendan. Thanks. I got goosebumps when you said that to me just now, just so you know. <laughs> That's what I do. I create goosebumps for our guests. <laughs> that is a right longtime on. CFL special teams ace, Dan Rasevich. And by the way, you can always check out that uh, charity that he spearheads or helps out with a lot. They've got a initiative in Calgary and one here in Regina. Believe in the gold.ca. And that brings to a close another star-studded edition of the Sports Cage. Special thanks to all of our guests, especially to A.J. Olette and Ariel Zer for trotting into our studio. And a big thank you to Ryan McNally for pushing all the buttons. I just get to stand here and talk, and you've got to do all the work putting us on the air. You have been listening to the Sports Cage, a proud presentation of the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM.